Remarkably, we were talking about cussing. <laughs> and um, how sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not. And, and it, in any case, uh, welcome to another episode or whatever we're calling this now of the Dissect Podcast. Uh, <laughs> Michael is here. I am here. Mr. Corey Rich is here. And um, I haven't, is it three weeks ago in Banff? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, I bet that was three weeks ago. Yeah. Was- so let's say... Uh, and and I'm just gonna say that we had not seen each other, Corey, since 1995. Gosh, time flies by. That is that's actually. It, <laughs> I mean, you brought it up about because I think that's what it was. It was the autumn of '95. I want to say that we were uh, went into longs. Yeah, yeah, walking right? into the diamond. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I see. You have this amazing gift, Mark. We were just talking about this in the kitchen while making coffee. That you remember time and and dates. I've come, I've, I realized that I, I have zero sense of time. I can remember okay. the story. I have vivid memories of meeting you in Estes Park and Topher <laughs> Donahue. And who else was with us? It was, um, uh, gosh, Stuart. Uh, he was the product tester for Patagonia for years. Um, and I remember, I remember all of those details. I remember it was cold. And I remember we stayed at like the mountain shop, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and but I but so I could th- not for the life of me tell you what year that was. But so that was that for a Patagonia event, or was it? I a, think that well, I think it was a Patagonia shoot, if I'm not mistaken. It was something of. I, I mean, I, so it may have been later than '95. Okay. Okay. Um, if it was, if it because yeah, now I have like now I've got some overlap here. Um, because I know that, but I, I, I feel like it was the shoot where we went up to try to do what, what Topher eventually finished as C- Crazy Train. Yes. I feel yes. like. Yes, that, that. that's right. That's okay. right. And so, yeah, I think that was 95. <laughs> I've, I've noticed this about you. Um, you. You get dates precisely and first and last names precisely. Huh. And those two things that don't enter my head and stay there. They like bounce around, but then they're out almost the day of. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of what I remember. You say you don't remember time. Uh, what, what does signal for you like a memory? Well, I, I just noticed in the process of putting this book together, I, I referred to everything as just a few years ago. and then and then eventually the manuscript ended up in seattle at the mountaineers and it was one of the very first emails that i got from the from the editor and she said we're super confused about when things happened (laughs) because everything was just a few years ago and and Corey, you responded yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> because in, in my head, I'm still 20. Yeah, right. that's, that's kind of... And it should know. be added on, like, well, just a few years ago, but then some time passed, and then a few years later, which was a few years ago. <laughs> I feel like just, the, just like in the last two years, my wife... I've been saying for, you know, 15 years, I've lived in Tahoe for a few years, and I've owned this house for three. 
And my wife finally corrected me and she said, sweetheart, you've been here for 15 years and you've owned this house for 10 years. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, oh okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strange compression <laughs> of... Um, would, I, yeah, I would have thought that uh, for the book... Um, you know, because that the, the, there would have to be like a date and a time. I mean, obviously there's like, okay, well, here's a picture of, and I'll just have to go to the one of Stephen Koch, you know, snowboarding on the now no longer existing glacier. Um, is that, was And that was on Karsten, Karsten's. On Karsten's. Yeah. Uh, and I just go like, oh man, when was Stephen trying to do that? You know, because I'm, I'm trying to put it in a place and time. Sure. Of, you know, when I first met him in Chamonix, would have probably been... I don't know, winter of 91, 92, somewhere in that time frame, And then the seven summits thing would have been maybe sh- sh- shortly thereafter. Like, you know, like, like uh, yeah, my, my guess would be Stephen's seven summits thing was late nineties. Okay. And I, and what happened, yeah, I feel 96. That's, that sounds speaking, about right. Yeah. That sounds 80, 98. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. That sounds about right. And I, I have to say the least enjoyable part of writing this book was actually going back to fact check the dates. Oh. It was really hard. It was really hard. You know, it meant digging through slide files, mm-hmm. most of which I never, you know, I, I was a, a cheap bastard and I never paid for the stamp in print with the date. It was like right. 10 cents cheaper per roll. Yeah. Which, you know, later I paid the piper for that. Yeah, like, oh man, I can't even find this. <laughs> to, to, yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and then it became this real kind of, you know, puzzle to put it together because we wanted things to fall into chronological order. Yeah. And it was and it required calling guys like Stephen and saying and it turns out it was reassuring that most folks can't remember these details. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so if it's in chronological so basically this is the you know the story behind the shot essentially yes, is that's the, right. Yeah. The, is that the exact I think the title is still, no, I think it's stories behind the images. Story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, same thing, you know, same, same, same thing. Idea, yeah, same <laughs> things. Yeah. Okay. Same thing. Um when is the so if it's sort of in chronological order, which is the the oldest image that's in there? It's it's sort of in chronological order. In the okay. middle, it gets blurry and near the end. But but probably... <laughs> it's it's I, a little bit blurry in the beginning and <laughs> even middle. more blurry. The middle kind of... Yeah, okay. <laughs> the, I think the very first photo, and it may be the first picture in the book, um, is... A, 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 you know, I took a semester off from college when I was... Um, a sophomore and drove around the Western United States photographing rock climbing. And I came back from the six months on the road and I edited my best pictures down to like lifestyle images that I would ship to Patagonia right. and climbing action to climbing magazine thinking, you know, I had no intention of turning this into a career. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just following my passion. And, uh, and the story goes the next day I'm sitting in my dorm room and the phone rings and it was, you know, I, I it, it was Jennifer Ridgway. Oh, actually, Jennifer. Okay. Who sadly, you know, we just lost Jennifer. She just passed away, and and she went on to publish a photo or a couple of photos. And the next day, Climbing Magazine called, and uh, they published what I think is the first image in the book, which is a photo of Ricky Ashoy, a stunningly beautiful oh, woman in yeah. a blue bikini top, on the cover of of Climbing. And it was, you know, it was, it was very. 
Turns out that's the best-selling issue ever no in the history shit. of Climbing Magazine. No kidding. And, you know, as a photographer, I like to believe it was the light and the composition. Yeah. I've been told since then it had nothing to do with my skills. But I, I think, frankly, it was just controversial is why it sold. Okay. I think it was, you know, we were... We envisioned ourselves as climbers, as rogue cowboys, fringe mm. sport, and the idea dirt of a, bags. yeah, dirtbag, a woman in a bikini on the cover of of our Bible, yeah, you know that just didn't add up, and so it was. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get that shot? You know that was that was my six months on the road, and there mm. was this, you know, we were, I'm, you know, the, the best part about being on the road is the people you meet. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And I bumped into, you know, <laughs> many of the folks that I met on that first six months are some of my, you know, best friends to this day. How did, how did you get access? You were obviously climbing before yourself yeah. and then understood, like you, that was kind of your access as you had this, you know, quick connect with people because you were a climber yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I had fallen in love with photography and climbing when I was 13 mm. and uh, I, I was a gymnast. I did I won a pull-up contest. I did 35 pull-ups and oh, nice. won the pull-up record at our school. And one of the school teachers took notice of the short, strong kid mm. and invited me to go <laughs> rock climbing. Bob Porter was his name. And that weekend, I convinced my dad to drop me off at the high school parking lot at 5 a.m. with my older brother. And I got in Bob's truck and another math teacher was sitting up front, George Egbert. And we drove up Highway 395 to the Needles of California and um, and it blew my freaking mind. I mean, it was that. Your first climbing experience was needles. at the needles. It was actually Dome Rock, right <laughs> okay. below the needles. Yeah, okay. but with, but with the needles. Yeah, I mean, literally the first time we're standing on Dome Rock and, you know, that first day I'm leading scary run out five, six, and I'm sitting in the truck with Bob and George and they're drinking beers and, you know, telling wild stories of adventure. And we're looking up at the needles and they're pointing at this root, white punks on dope. And they're saying, maybe next weekend we'll do that. And I'm thinking... This is free. It, 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 I mean, it just blew a 13-year-old's yeah. mind. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't just the climbing. It was sort of the whole experience, right? The mm. sitting in the vehicle. I just remember distinctly getting in the truck. You know, my dad drops me off. It's dark outside. He trusts these guys. They're school teachers. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And, and, Bob, and Bob has, I remember distinctly, he had a huge 7-Eleven coffee, which has like a very distinct aroma. He had a 40-pack of powdered donuts and a Budweiser can that today I can admit, I think the statute of limitations has passed. It was wide open, like <laughs> at 5 a.m. as we were like, you know, and the mix of those aromas, it was like so different than my mom and dad's car. Yeah. You know? And and I just I just fell in love with with the entire climbing. I, I don't know what else to say. It's like the culture. It's 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 our, you know, that I, I, I'd struggle with this word tribe, but I just mm. fell in love with everything. It was the storytelling, the adventure, the, the sort of experience from that day forward, I just looked forward to the next weekend. Mm. And, and then I, th the next weekend I borrowed my father's camera, took awful pictures. Mm. And then these two parallel pursuits were born in like the span of you know, seven days from Saturday to Saturday. I fell in love with climbing. I fell in love with how do I, in a more compelling way, get back to the schoolyard on Monday and, you know, wow my buddies with stories of adventure. And I realized the verbal storytelling wasn't enough. I needed some visual proof. Was the, uh, Yeah, pictures that didn't happen. Yeah, that's right. Which is, it's funny because um, for me, like the, the first sort of piece of writing I sold to Climbing Magazine um, was 
about trying to solo or about soloing the North Face of the Grand Charmeuse, but it ran with a Bradford Washburn photo. Mm, right. And then from and then thereafter, you know, had this relationship with uh with Michael Kennedy there and with George Braxick at Rock and Ice, both of whom, you know, encouraged me to take some photographs to support the writing. Right. And I it you know, now I look back at it and I'm I can see that yeah, your writing's not that good. So if you had some pictures to, you know, sort of illustrate this shit, it'd really help, you know? Like, I think that's what the subtext was. I just didn't hear that at the time, you know? Um, but they just think I'm going to be a great photographer. Or, or something, yeah. <laughs> so you're only the positive. And then, and shortly thereafter, you know, um, I'd gone on this trip with Krakauer to try and climb North Face of the Eiger. So the very first photo I ever sold um, to any publication was a full page photo of an outside magazine. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> of yeah. of, of, yeah. of John, you know, trying to you know, uh, <clears throat> digging out this bivy ledge, um, on the North face of the Eiger. And, and it wasn't because it was a, you know, it, it was access, right? Yeah, it's exactly what, you know, it's just like, okay, I can get there cause I can climb. And then I also had a camera that I kind of knew how to use. Right. Right. Um, didn't know how to use it that well as the slides demonstrate, you know, you know, many years later or whatever, sure. but, but it was, but it was something that was, um, yeah, two pursuits born in parallel, uh, not quite in seven days, but it's, uh, you, you know, but, I, was, but I was super complimentary to each other. I was thinking about the, the first photograph that I ever had published. This is almost like embarrassing to tell this story, but I was, you know, I was still a kid in high school and our local crag, the devil's punch bowl, which is in the Mojave desert. It's just a sandstone pile. But, you know, my, my brother and I and some buddies, we were bolting roots out there. And and word on the street was rock and ice was going to do a profile of this crag. And I had some awful photos. I mean, awful <laughs> photos of climbing at the Devil's Punch Bowl. And I somehow, you know, I'm, I'm like a kid in high school. And I caught wind of this. And I, I, you know, I only had 10 transparencies with the correct exposure that were sharp with someone yeah. rock climbing in them. And I submitted them. Somehow I tracked down the address and I, you know, convinced my mom and dad to help me mail these. And they called and they wanted caption information. And I had no idea who one of the guys was in the photo, but I knew his first name was Jeff. And so I told them, it's Jeff Doe. <laughs> and sure enough, they, they published that photo. That was my very... <laughs> My very first photo. And I felt like such an asshole every time I would go to the cliff after that because I kept on being nervous I was going to run into to Jeff. Jeff Doe. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Doe. And it's, you know, I just, I had no resource. I was like a, a kid in high school. Like why I didn't just try harder to track this guy down. I just didn't understand the value of, yeah, you know, correct information and, and the, you know, the storytelling um, and just the, the like the reason that you want someone's name, those facts. Yeah, it's like you know with the the, the value of fact because so, someone will be checking later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and to this day, I don't think I ever ran into Jeff again. But he's out there, and I'm sure he's like, oh, that kid, that, kid. that made up my last. <laughs> First of all, it was a bad photo. Second of all, he got my name not only wrong. He said my last name was Jeff Doe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny, actually. Yeah, I mean, just, it's like. Just, it actually makes it better. <laughs> like, because imagine, I, I'm trying to imagine from his perspective, is like if he saw himself in a magazine, he's like, oh, holy shit. 
It's like, oh, that's hilarious. It, the only, he remembered my first name, but yeah. now I'm like a lost child. Uh, and, and <laughs> the lost child of the crag. We, I grew up in a pretty rural, small town. Mm. You know, there were 500 people in the town called Leona Valley, California. And I remember going to, we had a long driveway, you know, it'd take two minutes to walk up the driveway. And I walked up to our mailbox and it was a dirt road. And, and I remember pulling out that issue of Rock and Ice magazine. And, and it was the devil's punch bowl issue. And I flipped yeah. and there was the image of Jeff Dillon. And it was such this like mixed emotion of at one level, it was, holy shit, I just, I have a published photograph yeah. in the publication, one of the two publications that mean everything to me. And then the other emotion was, oh, fuck. Like I got this guy's name. <laughs> I have this guy's I name I said wrong. his last name was Doe is a joke, you guys. Like, and you printed it. Oh, shh. Um, but I've, I've cleaned up my act since then. I mean, that's <laughs> fairly impressive at such a young age to, I, I mean, not just, um, I think it's rare that kids know what they want to do, yet also, like, go so far into it. Like, to take, not just the activity, because some kids are just like, oh, I want to do the activity over and over and over again. But it seems like you almost immediately had an eye to just not just becoming good at the activity, but to represent the activity and how you saw it, which is kind of a strange thing. Yeah, I, I wish and, I could take credit for that. I, I think I was just a kid that figured out what I loved doing. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, you know, there were these two, I don't want to just call them passions. They were obsessions. Right? Mm -hmm. I just wanted to go and climb. You know, I, there were, we were new routing and, you know, I, I didn't have a driver's license. So it was, you know, could I convince my buddies or my brother? My mm. brother, his tenure in climbing was much shorter mm. than mine. But, you know, for a while it was my brother I would convince to drive to the Eastern Sierra or to Chatsworth, to Stony mm -hmm. Point. And so it was like, I wanted to climb and then I wanted to take pictures, but my photography was awful. Mm. And so, you know, I, I just wanted to do both of those things as much as I possibly could. I don't think it was until my... You know, I took that semester off from college and Jennifer Ridgway and, and Climbing Magazine, mm -hmm. they both purchased a few photos where I, it was the first moment where I realized, oh, this could actually be, I might be able to pay the bills with this. Yeah. Like I, you know, I never intended for it to turn into a, a job. Now I'm terrified. I have no other skills except. <laughs> I, I was going to say, what <laughs> did you finish your degree and what was it like? What were you studying when you took like six, yeah. six months sabbatical? You know, I was studying journalism. So okay. I, was, I was in journalism school and I, uh, when I went home to tell my father who was a school teacher, I told him that I was going to take a, my plan was to take a semester off. My dad <laughs> became a lawyer in that moment. And I remember, and I remember he, he drafted a contract. And that, this is very unlike my dad. But maybe when he was selling used cars or something, he would draft a contract. But he drafted a contract. And I remember very clearly it said, you know, you will return to college six months from the date of departure. You know? Yeah. And, and I remember watching him write this contract at the dinner table and my brother my brother's like the brains of you know I'm, okay. I might be the creative guy. My brother's the you know the high IQ guy in our family and I remember looking at my father drafting this contract and I remember thinking it says return to school it doesn't say finish school <laughs> and I, I noted that in the back of my head and I sure I did return to school and and really it was after photos started getting published there was this direct correlation between you know the more I got published my GPA descended mm. like in direct okay. correlate and my attendance declined 
in direct correlation. But do you think you'd ever see a different, like, do, would you ever see the kid who's like 4.0 in journalism or photojournalism at the same time while fostering that good report card yeah. would be able to foster an actual career in it? It's a good question. I think there's, you know, I, I've definitely met people that are super talented, mm -hmm. super passionate, and just a lot smarter than me. That yes, that also had, but my business partner, one of my business partners, he might be the smartest guy I know, mm -hmm. Lincoln Else. Lincoln's a, you know, he's he's also a, he's he's a 200 IQ guy mm -hmm. that went to Yale that also shoots at the highest level and like somehow just lined it all up. And so I, I but I, I acknowledge- Okay, ruining the curve. <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. 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 So, there's always gonna be, kind of assholes like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i like you know you you take that group and you throw them out because that's at one end of the spectrum yeah. and you know yeah. i'm some i'm in that middle group of i just found those things that i really am good at and love doing and and by mistake frankly turned it into a career i mm. think i you know i, I love Shenard has this great line it might even you know, he talks about himself as an unintentional businessman. Have you ever heard Shenard use that line? Yeah. And, you know, and, and look, and Shenard is a very savvy, driven guy. But I I do think, that I, I've always related to that statement, which is, I kind of, I, I like the, like, solving problems and figuring out now how to, you know, I never thought I'd manage people, but, I've you know, small staff. And, and I like all of that, but it was never, there was never a business plan, mm -hmm. that's for sure. It was, the business plan was really simple. Just figure out what you love to do and do it as f often as you possibly can and, and do it better than you did the last time. I'm shocked at that's, how that's well. That's a pretty solid plan, I think. I mean, yeah. I'm shocked at how well like a, a sabbatical would do for like a young mind. Like to try to figure things out. I don't, I don't even think you need like a direction like, oh, I'm going to go shoot climbing. Although that probably really helps because it distracts you from trying to find a purpose. It's kind of inherent in it. But I wonder how much good would happen to just like push people into walkabouts. Right. Like when they're fostering ideas about the world. And then watch them come back and be like, what do you think? And they're like, I really like this because I had to figure it out. I think a lot of other cultures do that so much better. Mm -hmm than we do you know i i agree that walkabout mm. as a kid in college was you know the most pivotal thing that could have happened to me and but you go to other countries and you realize it's just the norm you mm -hmm. finish yeah. you know you take this like leap year if you ever go to college yeah and it's and i think it is i think those are such formative experiences i, mean, I think actually i mean i would have to equate it i mean i don't know sophomore in college so you're a bit younger but that first trip to the alps with crack hour for me i was 22 years old and that was probably that year because that i can tie everything that happened later in life to being initiated on that trip being exposed to the alps in general meeting mm -hmm. christophe profi and his girlfriend sylvian tavernier on the and realizing like wow they're just moving up this terrain that we were belaying and they appear to be floating and they don't really the rope is there but it's not tied to anything and like <laughs> like just totally blew me away and and i guess my my brain was fertile enough for the seeds to take hold once it got once I got exposed to it, I think that's yeah. Sabbatical is probably uh, and it, and you're right, it is normal. And for Australians, it's normal to like take. Well, if I'm leaving, 
I'm going like always in Europe when I would meet Australians, they were on the road for a year or two years, you know, it was right. Cause right. it's just, especially at the time in the, you know, let's just say mid eighties, it was a bit harder to get away <laughs> um, mm-hmm. from Australia. And so you'd go away for a lot longer time. It's mm-hmm. not like I'm just going to fly to Europe for a week. Or right. Right. Silly thing. But. It's, I also think it's the time I've thought about this quite a bit. It's also, there's a sweet spot in terms of age mm-hmm. In life, it's not to say that at forty or fifty or sixty you can't take six months or a year or two years and like really pivot, but it's a hell of a lot harder. But I think you're. I think also you're going to affect more people. That's right. Because you tend that's, to be tied to more that's right. things. That's. I realized that because this happened to me when I, you know, I, I had parents that were sort of, you know, while my dad drafted a contract and was rightfully shit, yeah. so skeptical of my intentions, uh, <laughs> he, you know, that being 20 or 18 or whatever age I was, you know, 19, I guess, I just, there was, there were just no strings attached. Yeah. I mean, I, I had zero commitment or responsibility in life except to kind of, you know, figure out what the hell I wanted to do and who I was and what kind of lit that fire for me. Hmm. And, you know, uh, geez, five years later, it would have been harder. Five, year, 10 years later, I think it's just a whole lot harder. It's what you're describing. You're just affecting more people. And those decisions are a lot harder to make. Yeah, And, that, and there's yeah. more responsibility. You know? uh, yeah, that, that, I, that's what, I, I mean, it be, it, it's so simple to give people other advice because you aren't attached to what they're attached to. You just see it as, hey, you want to make a change in your life. Here's how the change happens in obvious manner. Uh, but that's really only relevant to somebody who's young 20s, mid 20s, late 20s. You start to like people had made decisions that are going to have to start making corrections. Like I think when I had profound experiences that really started to guide my path, it was late 20s and I had to cut people off and really mm-hmm. like change friendships, change like the communities that I belong to or it, leave them all together and really which, like re-identify Which myself. you wouldn't have had to do had you been younger. Yeah. 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 So, and it, it's not that it was hard because it was the obvious thing to do for me. Um, but now that I look at it, like if, you know, I'll talk to a friend and maybe they're in their forties and they're having some kind of like, oh, I need to make some kind of shift. And I think everybody wants big shifts. They want profound moments. They want six-month walkabouts that change their life. But they're like, oh, well, you know, I, how am I going to keep in touch with my niece? And it's just, right. yeah, that's probably really important, but it probably really isn't. It's probably actually bordering on an excuse. Some of them aren't. Like when I think about, and maybe this is a sad part about my personality, I just think like, what is the most drastic thing that I could do now that would actually improve my life? Right. And I'm like, a lot of them come with like, man, I'd have to like get a divorce. Right. And I don't think that would improve my life. So I'm back to, okay, <laughs> what things can I do and include? I'm like, well, now I have to travel with a child and now I have, you know, the dog and everything becomes attached to me. You're like, man, I really can't change much. Right. Uh, now I feel stuck and now I feel depressed because I'm stuck <laughs> in a, in a <laughs> sense. So it's always like this. Uh, I mean, kind of to steal the title of that book that's in there is like an escape towards freedom which is a, a weird concept uh, that I think you can really foster at a young age. And it seems like you've done that. It seems like what you're doing now is, you know, the, the fruits of your labor where you found a way to be free and now you're kind of tied to that freedom. I feel, I feel that way. I mean, I always joke that I'm just waiting for someone to figure out that, <laughs> that like, just that like one day someone's going to figure out my deal 
Yeah. And like, like uh, catch me if you can. Kind yeah. of like Tom Hanks comes in. He's like, I've been tracking you for a long yeah. time. You, <laughs> you've been playing, making pictures, shooting videos for 25 years and getting paid for it. We're putting an end to this. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. can't this, be this having fun. Can't, exactly. Yeah. No yeah. more fun. Yeah, that's it. And, 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 and I, you know, I also don't want to create the illusion that it's all fun all the time because the truth is oh, it's part of that growing up part, mm-hmm. right? There's, turns out, like I'm responsible for a lot now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, part of it is I'm married. I have a kid mm-hmm. we have a dog, we have a house, we have, you know, we have a staff, we have an office, we pay rent. And it's, you know, all of those, those things slowly, I mean, in, in, in some way they bring great joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they enrich the experience, the kind of experience of life most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then there are moments where you step back and you think, how did I, what? Like, how did I layer yeah. all of this on top of this fundamentally simple thing that I love yeah, to how do? Yeah, how did it get, get so complicated? Right, and, <laughs> but, but I also realize it's, you know, it's that, that, that thought process of you can never step in the same river twice or mm-hmm. same creek twice. I, you can't hang on to it. I can't hang on to what I had when I was 20. Yeah. I mean, I, I still remember, this was like a, you know, one of these minor pivotal moments. I, for years... Um, would go and speak a fair amount at like universities. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, Nikon in particular would have me go and do these talks and I would just talk about passion and photography and tell my story. And and it used to be so great because I felt like I would show up at any university USA and I would give a talk and then I'd go and hang out with all the students. And And I remember I was at Chapel Hill, North Carolina and I gave my talk and it was to a journalism school. And at the end, we all went out for a drink and one of the students came up and... Uh, and she looked at me and, and she said, Mr. Rich. And I, and I instantly realized like, oh, I'm like, that chapter is gone. Like I am mm-hmm. not a peer anymore. They don't yeah. perceive me as a peer. Mm. And, it's, and it, at that moment, of course, I was layering more onto my life. And so it's, it's just that idea. Like, although I loved being 20 and being, I could hang with the other students while I wasn't attending that school and I wasn't in college anymore, <laughs> there, just that moment came where, nope, I, w- I was no longer appearing and I had to, at some level, grow up. But with that growing up comes, you know, both the good and the bad of responsibility. I mean, it's, it's what yeah. you described. It's, you know, the, 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 the wife, the dog, the, the Yeah, kid. the stuff, you're right. And I think that, like, yet yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strain that becomes something that can absolutely magnify the good experiences. I, I try to th- like put it in kind of perspective of I've earned these things. Like I've become stable enough that other people want to enjoy my experience with me. And although that is such a huge benefit to me, at times like there's fallout from that. It'll 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 limit the kinds of experiences that I can have, which are man, I'd really like to just take off and go to the jungle right. for three months. I don't know why. Like, I fucking hate the jungle. I don't, right. I, but there's something that, or, or like, maybe it's not that, but it's like, I, I mean, this, this is kind of a small thing, like shoot to death Valley for 36 hours. Yeah. And it's like, God, I really had to like tiptoe around selling right. that one. Right. When in reality that would have been, well, there is no hesitation. I go where I want to go. Like this nomad thing feels really good, but the nomad thing comes with when I get appendicitis no one's there to tell me that That's I should right. go to the hospital. And so they're they're like, and, and when I get done with surgery, there's somebody there that's like, are you okay? And that, you can't have that and be a nomad. Like you you miss that part in your life. And it's quite sad, but I, I go back and forth. I'm torn between, man, I 
really miss the time of being absolutely free, but I understand the value in what I have I now. totally. You know, I, you guys, I don't know if either of you are close to Fred Becky, but Fred, Fred was a pretty good, pretty good friend. And, okay. and I have to say, I don't know many people like Fred that kind of lived, like Fred never outgrew the nomad. The, the nomad. Yeah. I mean, there will probably never be someone else like Fred Becky that for, mm. you know, oh, how old was he? 94, I think. I, oh, shit. Was he 90 or 84? I can't remember if Whoa. he was in his 80s or 90s. I should Ooh, know that. You, See, I'm, but I've already, hey, I've already de- given mm, the disclaimer. The, the disclaimer I, about I, yeah, remember. Yeah, I can't I, remember. I can't remember. I would, I would, some, I just have to imagine it was 94. Yeah. Because I, I see him as, you know, I still look and I go, oh, it's father time. <laughs> like, that's what we kind of used to call him when I was in Seattle and yeah. starting climbing is like, because already at that point he'd been around for, oh, uh, yeah. a, you know, a while. And I mean, well, there, like, there, he wrote the guidebooks that we all carried there around. Will, there and, will probably you know. never be another person that does more first ascents. For sure. Ever. Wow. I mean, and it's, you know, the guy, he climbed... I think from teenage years until he was in his 90s. Yeah. I mean, he climbed virtually every day. Like, I mean, Fred Becky's the only guy that I went to. It must have been his 80th birthday party. A few buddies and I and my wife and his wife, we flew up to Seattle for his 80th birthday party. And it was at the Mountaineers, their facility, and they had, you know, a climbing wall at the entrance. And Fred, you know, we're all dressed up because we're going to like roast him and tell stories and have a nice dinner. And Fred shows up with climbing shoes and a harness because he thinks maybe we can get a few top ropes in. And we, and I had to explain to Fred, Fred, this is like a celebration for you, man. Like we're not going to yeah. climb today. And but he <laughs> but he loved climbing so much, yeah. and he never he he never never got married, mm. you know, never had kids, and and thankfully, like in in I think he came really close to dying alone. Mm. Like I mean, really close. I think there was. He met a woman who was a friend. I think, mm-hmm. you know, my sense is there was no romance who loved him, like mm-hmm. really like cared about Fred Becky. I mean, she and her husband kind of took him under their wing and he died, I believe, in their home. Mm. Um, and, wow. And it was, but it's like, Fred, you know, Fred is that example of the guy that, you know, could have gone, it, he he could have been the guy that like, right, when you're mm. when you're like, it's all coming to an end you are truly alone because you have while he had the tribe he had the family there's a big difference between like sitting next to someone in their deathbed and being yeah all dealing the with the, the yeah. grotesqueness of Absolutely. actual living yeah uh, yeah i, I that, that's i mean it's inspiring at the same point and i don't know how it works out but i i mean i think about that often about like what it is to die alone i mean we all do it like physically you're alone when it when it separates Uh, which is like a not a i guess you could call it a fear but i think it more of it it's an interesting thought um to know that whoever's holding your hand when it's over it's over and they're not with you and yet that person holding your hand or the dog sitting next to you is so important yeah Uh, and i like man what's that worth it's worth everything to some people it's worth giving up the life experience. And so right. I like, when I look at like, man, I, look at picture, like look at the best photos you've taken and the ones that have been on the cover of magazines and really what you're relaying to other people is like, look at this experience I had and you're sharing that and it inspires people to be like, I want to have better experiences. And then somewhere along the line, you're like, but I need to be responsible because <laughs> I need to have somebody hold my hand when I die. And so like, this is like the big juxtaposition of like experience and responsibility just so I can 
end it appropriately, I guess. But you don't want to end it without the experience. Uh, have you seen the uh, the movie uh, Walter Mitty or... Uh, I think that's what, what the adventures of Walter Mitty. Oh yeah, yeah curious the, whatever. The, yeah, the photographer. Yeah. I, I I ignored it for a really long time. I was just like, oh, it's probably like a a yeehaw, good old two shoe movie. And then not maybe like when we're going to California a month ago or something, it was on there, so I watched it. And I was kind of honestly, I'm really sad that I missed it. That it took so long to see that movie because it has a really good like premise. You know, you think we think of people that are responsible as people that are just like anti experience. Yeah. They're just like they don't want to risk anything. And it kind of shows through this movie that like actually this is the guy that is good at everything, but he had responsibilities that took over his his longing to adventure. But really he'll put himself in any situation and he is quite courageous and blah, 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 blah. And it makes you rethink of like I mean, I think about it pretty much every day. Like, what experience am I missing out on? because I'm trying to be mm -hmm. responsible and show up. And it's like, I want to have so many conversations, but man, I told Aaron I'd be home. Or I want to right. like, uh, for some reason, the other day, like they just started this yoga class. And I was like, I should go into that class. I'm like, I just don't have time. I have to get here. We have work to do. And I was like, I don't like, I want to do random things. Yeah, the randomness and is harder. It response. is uh, because it makes you irresponsible and it makes you untrustworthy. Yeah, I, I You need to be <clears throat> like, no, I told Mark I'd be here at a certain time so we could record a thing. And man, I'd, it'd be really hard to explain, you know. Hey, Mark, I took too much acid and I went to this yoga class and got lost. <laughs> <laughs> like, you'd probably understand, but yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay. Write <laughs> uh, right about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, you know, Fred in his 80s, we sat down and had like a real sincere conversation. And, and you know, I, I, I mean, Fred basically said, the uh, the opposite he said shit i kind of wish i would have gotten married mm -hmm. and had a kid mm -hmm. like you know and I, I but again you cross that line of you know that that ship sailed at 60 or 70 probably for fred yeah. mm -hmm. and so it's i mean maybe there's a i think there's a bit of a phenomena those of us with responsibility we crave the ability to stay for the yoga class on a whim and those of yeah. us that can stay for the yoga class mm -hmm. crave some going home totally like stability having, yeah yeah having that person that's going to be with them uh, it's the it's the paradox of well what would have that decision yes, gotten me that's right. you know, it's the monty hall problem yeah like i chose this window and now i have this now i'm just down to two windows and no matter what window you choose you always wonder what was in the other right one. was it right. the big prize did i get the good thing um and mathematically you're always fucked <laughs> <laughs> i think it's also human nature mm. I feel I go through that same thing all the time, which is, um, you know, one of the guys in our office, he's actually, there's a young crop of folks in our office where they, you know, they, to put it in perspective, they're just getting their first dogs. You know, oh, like yeah. Their girl, you know, their yeah. partners, <laughs> and they just got their first dog. And then you look back and you're like, oh, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember when, you know, it felt like so much responsibility to have a dog. And you had a <laughs> girlfriend that, like, she wanted you to come home at a certain time. And, She'd get pissed when you were on trips for too long. Mm -hmm. And 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 there's moments where I see, you know, that they're all going to the climbing gym after work and I've got to pick up my daughter at mm -hmm. you know, to take her to jujitsu class or you know. And yes. and at one and, and at one level it's like a, there's a, a tinge of I wanna go climbing right now and I, and ride my bike across yeah. town and then have beers with you guys after. Mm -hmm. And then there's this just God, it's hard to describe this deep like incredible satisfaction 
to go and pick up this little human being that looks mm-hmm. at me like I'm, she doesn't see all my flaws yet. She's still too young. <laughs> but but she looks at me as like this, you know, like I'm her best friend and like her hero and we get to tell stories in the car and then we show up and she's doing her class and she's looking over at me to see if I'm watching and smiling. And I'm just thinking, this is so fucking rad. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, I, that that feeling is, it's a feeling I haven't experienced my dog, I mean, I love my dog, mm-hmm. but I never got that same feeling yeah. from a dog. And I, I do get that from my dog, actually, <laughs> probably more than my stepdaughter. <laughs> uh, I, like we have, uh, I guess I should say like, I, I am really lucky in the fact that I am not trapped because I think at any one moment, I could tell Aaron, hey, let's go somewhere yeah. and disappear. And she would be into it. And, and, and we'd figure out, how it would work and we have kind of a revolving door business where we can kind of come in and out and and still make things happen um but it is it highlights the importance of i don't know what we'd call that what is that stability is that structure is that like is that the human experience with family because i know uh, like the chinese family experience is totally different like it is its own thing and apparently it's appreciative of of something like you have children so they can take care of you when you're dead and everything is for the family your career path right. your choice and vocation whatever all that stuff just supports the family lineage and it's almost like this that must feel actually pretty good honestly like it sounds miserable to me right um but when i think about it i have no idea about my uh ancestry like i have very little information from my dad's side or my mom's side it's kind of like fetters off after a great grandfather that was like kind of crazy i'm like i have no i don't even know my grandmother's name on my dad on my paternal side so uh, maybe there is an experience there where and i see it in some people who are so proud of their rich history and what their family came from i see it in trevor because he knows like yeah my family came here in the 1600s motherfucker like we've we have like seeds in the ground and you're like man that must feel different that there in and when we're talking about kind of bring it back to when we're talking about time we're talking about um like i don't notice time but i notice feelings like i can tell you what i felt like in a certain time in my life during a certain experience Mm -hmm. and so i think about it as in it feels like this to have a family that you care about it feels like this to be a nomad it must feel like something to be to feel ancestry to feel like the power of your um your blood hmm. passing through generations i think I, yeah I, I don't know i mean i th- think that it would be reassuring to have that architecture around you to realize like okay this is this is this is where i fit hmm. in, in not only in just in the, sort of that lineage situation and 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 then you, then cuz then if that's sorted out then I think the relationship to the world would be somehow, well, the options would be limited mm. and therefore it might be better. It's in, yeah. the, in the sense of like having incredible diverse opportunity is pretty stressful. Yeah. The best restaurants have less choices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's a that that is that is very true i i, I definitely you know to your point around <clears throat> you know that that flexibility 
to have time and do a walkabout when you need to, to on a whim go to you know utah or go to death valley mm-hmm. for 36 hours i think also therein lies and this is true in any form of partnership whether it's your climbing partner for the day or your partner for you know life and marriage if that's you know if that's what it's going to be for you i think having i mean it's all about pairing with that person that mm-hmm. kind of gets you you know my, my my wife marina she's brazilian and She's very direct about how she feels and mm. passionate about life. And she's the first to tell me, like, if I haven't gotten out and, like, adventured enough or kind of just been out, mm-hmm. she, you know, she's like, you've got to get out of the house. Like, you've got to leave for a while. because it's <laughs> If like, not for you, for totally, me. Totally. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's it turns out as as humans, certainly for me, we just need that right amount of of input coming from, you know, for me, it's I need input. I need to be in places that are unfamiliar to mm-hmm. me. I need to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I need to be creative. I need to be, and that means being gone. Like mm-hmm. it means I can't do that from my office or from my house. I've mm-hmm. got to be gone. And so that's that's our reality. And it's what, but we've built a relationship on this reality, which is there's discomfort in the fact that I'm not there all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's non-traditional. It's not conventional. But when I'm there, I like to believe I'm a better person and a better dad. Because you're absolutely there. I I sure do try to be. That's for sure. You know, there's still obligations and work and stuff that I've got to think about and deal with. But it's, I'm I'm definitely not most of the time sitting there longing for, you know, I used the example of going to the gym and then drinking beers and riding Mm -hmm. bikes. I'm not longing for that most of the time. Because I find that, I'm going to try like hell to find that right balance between doing the stuff that like fills that bucket so that then when I'm, when I'm not doing that, I can, you know, more, more wholly be present. I think it's important to have distinction. I think like and to distinct from the with, from the without. And I think it, it gets hard in relationships, especially with like, you know, even business partners or, or spouses or dogs. But that uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder is absolutely true because there's such a sharp distinction. Mm-hmm. And so, um, well, we spent, I mean, I work with my wife, we travel together, we train together, we almost do everything together. And it's almost as if the absence of it is the pre- appreciation of it. It's mm-hmm. going, ah, that's why I like it. But in it, you almost never appreciate it. It's like, you know, we spend all this, we laugh all the time, we joke all the time. We really have like a pretty free life. Um, and I'll, I'll be God, I'm vibrating. I need to like go do this thing and I can't be around anybody else. I need to go wreck myself on a mountain bike in Moab or I need to just go like for a really long walk or, you know, sometimes fly somewhere and just train for the weekend to be away from it all. Mm-hmm. And it's almost the second that I leave, I'm like, oh, fuck. I really like being home. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but I'm glad that I'm not like, I'm glad that I have this separation to recognize it. And uh, I didn't notice until I went on a camping trip with uh, one of my friends, Jason down in Moab and we're sitting there he flew out from Detroit. We went on a six hour bike ride and he was smashed or we're cramping cause we haven't really eaten enough or drink enough water sitting around a campfire. And he was just like, what do you like best? And I was like, honestly, I just like like laughing with my wife about the dumbest shit. That's my favorite thing. And he's like, I like the same. And I was like, isn't it weird? We have to like get away from them in order to actually appreciate that that one thing. And I think maybe adventure is the same thing. I was like, when you're on an adventure, it usually means that it's not fun. Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the <laughs> by definition, the, yeah. the yeah. details you don't yeah. feel good. You're, you're not eating the best meals you're not sleeping in the best 
circumstances. You're not free from anxiety or the worry of what's going to happen tomorrow. Because if it's truly an adventure, you shouldn't know what was going to come. Um, so you're like, yeah, this kind of sucks. I'm ready for it to be done. Like almost all the jobs that we've done were adventurous. And they're some of my favorite times after the fact. Right. Like, you know, two months after the fact, I'm like, fuck, that was a great time. Like, remember that? <laughs> That. I don't want to. Okay, now it's too soon to remember. I'll ask you in six months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then it's just like pivotal part in your life where you had such a terrible time that you changed your own personality in order to adapt to the situation that made you the person that you are, and now you can appreciate of it. Uh, appreciative of it. Um, <laughs> what's happening? You're just like this is miserable. I want to not be here. Oh yeah, Corey, do you still? Um, uh, enjoy going climbing for itself totally. like in a non-professional way or maybe more is, maybe okay. more now maybe more i think i you know there was a 20-year chapter of my life where i was just so focused on photography where i had to just consciously there was a clear delineation for me that i'm now taking pictures my focus is getting the right. camera to the right spot to shoot the photo yeah. i was along for the ride that's for sure but i I wasn't, I, I, whatever it took to get to that spot, that's what I would do to that's make what you pictures. I mean, it's it, once, on, I mean, just speaking of the sort of photography career and, and, and being, you know, present in the mountains, but in a different capacity, like you brought up, and I remember distinctly seeing that first drone footage of Trango Tower. And you were explaining today a little bit about the, um, the sort of genies who came up with that. But I was just like, oh, and there's, okay, you were there as a documentarian, right. not as a participant, which, A, you have to make use of all your climbing skills and that kind of thing to, to, to be autonomous in that spot, to not have a negative effect or any kind of impact or influence on the actual event that you're trying to document. But um, the, that change must have been, like the, whenever it was there was like the oh now i'm outside of i'm here but i'm outside of it that must have been quite a uh, a shift in consciousness i would think yeah i mean i i find i'm 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 very conscious of when i'm there to document yeah and and then when i'm there to climb okay. and and it's pretty rarely you know being on the trango tower with david david lama and peter ortner Obviously, I, I have to still be a participant. You can't just sort of levitate there. And, yeah, sure. You know, I, still, I still have to, like, I'm in the same environment. And yeah. I'm looking at the same ice hanging over our head. And I'm, I still have to ascend the ropes. And I'm just as dehydrated and tired. And I'm feeling the elevation. But I don't need to lead the pitch above us. And right. It turns out like So that's I, the only, essentially the only difference. A, I have, I have some climbing responsibilities. Right. But uh, not that one. Right. Not <laughs> like, that one. That, that's exactly right. And, but, but while I'm not leading the pitches, my job is to actually really switch gears and focus on being creative. It's like when yeah. they're focused mm -hmm. on, do I bump to this and then, you know, this to yeah. this, I'm focused, or am I going to put my tool right here? I'm focused on, okay, what's the most compelling visual that I can capture? Should I be shooting video or should I be shooting stills? Um, should I actually be mm -hmm. closing my eyes for 10 minutes because I'm so cooked that like, <laughs> I need to like put some gas back in the tank so that I can be sharper in another thousand feet. And, and that's, I, I think that's how I've spent most of my professional life is I'm not responsible for leading the actual pitch, but I'm there, I'm a participant. 
I'm, I'm just as scared. I'm just as tired. I'm, you know, in a different way, just as tired. But then the joy of just going climbing for the sake of climbing. Yeah. So much. That is so deeply fulfilling when it's me and one of my buddies and we're out in the mountains cold and the wind's blowing in our face. And it's, you know, it's what you're describing. It's that idea that in the, I mean, it's that twisted thing that in now I understand when I'm really uncomfortable, I'm actually loving it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel that way, right? <laughs> in the moment, it's yeah. it still hurts. And like, no matter how much you learn to like accept pain, mm-hmm. what, what it does, you can turn the volume up. The older I get, it's like, you kind of, you know what level one feels like, two, three, mm-hmm. four, five, six, seven. You know, and now it's sort of in order to be miserable, I have to turn it a little bit higher. Which which sucks because it yeah. turns out it really hurts. But but I, I crave that. And I also crave just like that perfect day when you're out on the rock and it's and you it, know, the, the, there's no wind and it's you're just you're and it, it, the dial's at one. Yeah, that's right. Know, yeah, the, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the <laughs> dial. Yeah, like you're bare that you don't even see the level. Yeah. Like it's it's just kind of mm. flat at the bottom. And, and I will, you know, I don't know, I didn't want this to be like a sentimental thing, but I, because we're talking about family and kids, I'm now having this, no one ever, no one ever explained like the, the possible beauty in this experience, but now I have this little girl that I get to like show her my world and, and it's, it's, you know, we're, we're obviously the, I'm trying to avoid pain, mm-hmm. right? When I take her out, I want it to be on zero yeah. because it turns out kids do not appreciate like the wind <laughs> blowing in their face. Yeah. You know, they're just yeah. real matter of fact, yeah. this sucks. I want to go home. But now like taking her out to, to show her these experiences, whether that's tied to, to the end of a rope or whether it's skiing with her, it's, I mean, it's just so incredible because you know, that expression through a child's eye they just call it like it is. Mm-hmm. They just, they just freaking. They either love it or hate it. And, and they have no filter, no yeah. filter yeah. whatsoever. And you know, last last winter, you know, my philosophy is I'm not going to force climbing down her throat. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm not going to force. It'll do the opposite. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so I'm really conscious of that. And I we signed her up for like ski classes, and I take her every Saturday or Sunday, and you know, we sit on the back of the pickup truck and get ready, and you know, tell stories in the car as we're driving to the mountain. And then we get on the mountain and she meets her instructor. And then I meet her after when we ski. And I remember it was near the end of the season and, you know, I'm carrying her skis and my skis. And, I'm, you know, the last thing I actually want to do is go and ski at the resort. But I'm doing it because she's, yeah. this yeah. is like her exposure. And she, we're walking and she's, you know, her tiny little feet. And she's wobbling through the parking lot. And she says, Papai, do you like skiing more or climbing more? And I, and I gave her a softball answer. I said, sweetheart, I like them both. I said, I just like being outside and I like being out with you. She said, nope, one or the other, one or the other. And, <laughs> and I said, and I said sweetheart, I think. She's not like a fence sitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, and I said I, you know, I love, I love rock climbing. And she said, well, I, I'm a skier. <laughs> nice. And at some level, it was just this beautiful moment where I think, I, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't care if you told me you're a, you know, a trumpet player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that you're identifying with you, she is something and she cares about something. It yeah. was, so I, anyhow, all of that was to say, that's like a level of joy that I didn't mm-hmm. expect. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know that that existed, that you could go out and have, you know, zero suffering mm-hmm. And have and and watch her slide around and on still the have great joy. Oh my god! Like yeah. such deep joy. Yeah, such deep joy. I have to tell a story that just it just last week. Um, I mean, I'm gone a lot, and 
I was it was like a dad's. I, I was home alone with my daughter, and and Tommy Caldwell came through town with his kids, and his wife was out with all the girls were out doing their things. Okay. So Tommy rolls through town. I happened to be home for like two days, and and at one point Tommy and I and his two kids and and my daughter and I were sitting. We have this hot tub out on our deck in Tahoe, and you know there's pine trees all around. And stare up at the stars. And we're sitting, and Tommy and I, we don't get to see each other enough anymore, and you know we're both busy, and we're we're doing, you know, the kids are splashing and they're playing in the hot tub, being kids, and Tommy and I, we do what, what the three of us are doing. We start telling stories, you know, we start yeah. sharing stories, and then Layla, my daughter, says, "Let's, can we all tell stories? Can we all tell stories?" And Tommy and I pause, and so we start going in this circle, in a circle of. I tell a story, and then it's Layla's turn to tell a story, and then Ingrid gets to tell a story, and then Fitz tells a story, and then Tommy, t- and then we rotate around, and you know, and the, and this and and the kids, I realize because we do this all the time. This is like us passing along mm. the tradition of yeah. storytelling. They're like teeing up the stories in the same way that we would. They're extending the opening, and they're, you know, they're kind of saving the punchline until it's the three end. Acts. Oh, oh, yeah. and 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 like I like I was tearing up. And it was, and I'll admit, I was so hot. It was like all I wanted to do was get out of this hot tub, yeah. but it went on for an hour of the kids <laughs> circling around. And sometimes, you know, and then Layla would request which story she wanted me to tell. <laughs> tell the one about the bear coming into the garage, you know? And I'm like, sweetie, you just gave away the punchline, but okay. <laughs> and then she would finish it for me. And, you know, finally we, we got out and put the kids to bed, and Tommy and I are sitting in the kitchen talking. and. Man, I'm so and we, dehydrated. Yeah, <laughs> but we should drink whiskey yeah. anyhow. Yeah, okay. But it's still a good idea. And 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 I we both found ourselves saying, "No, this is like, this is as good as it gets." Mm-hmm. We just sat with our kids and told stories the same way the three of us mm-hmm. would do yeah. here in this room around some whiskey or sitting at a campfire. And it's they are they, and and we didn't force this down their throat. It's just it's what they've it's they're they're just it's what we've presented to them that's their reality that no you sit and you share and you tell stories and you have meaningful conversations and 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 it was just this incredible moment that i never i could never have imagined like that little sweet moment excuse me moment in time yeah i'm trying to think if i had um uh, my grandpa was uh, a good my step-grandpa he was a good storyteller um but i didn't realize how powerful like family tradition of storytelling was until uh, my friend Brad introduced me to his grandfather uh, up in Detroit. And so uh, he was, guys older and dirt, I can't, he was like 90 something and still just as drunk as ever and belligerent, but always has a joke and always has a story that goes with the joke after he tells. So he had like this systematic way about like any event that they had and he would show up to every event. And for some reason, like, it became so like when he died, it made me so sad because I got so much out of his stories. They were hilarious. I remember his jokes and he has like, you know, he had these, these weird, um, I don't know. What would you call them? Anyway, these weird expressions that he would throw in, in the middle of a, just a normal conversation. Like it's hotter than two rats fucking in a sock or like, so like just this, like, like a natural guy. Saying that this sounds shit. hot. Yeah. So when you think about it, like, man, it's a lot like, of friction, wow, like a wool sock. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, so, oh and when we tried to re-envision, uh, I think when I tried to re-envision a lot of uh, what we're trying to share with people, 
it was through story. Like, suddenly the whiteboard was the most grotesque, vulgar thing I could think about um, putting in front of somebody to explain something. And then I, I imagined it being outside. Like, I wanted it to be outside. Yeah, because if I can't tell, if I can't yeah. communicate the concept without drawing a bad stick figure or mm -hmm. a fucking diagram of some kind, then I need to work on my ability to communicate. Yeah. Because ultimately, this thing on the whiteboard is actually, A, it's an abstraction, but it's getting in between. Yeah. I have found, I mean, I've actually found that for me, and it took a long time to figure this out, I'm I'm far less creative. Right now, if we had the big whiteboard out. Yeah. It's it's definitely not my like sweet spot. I'm not in the flow state when I'm whiteboarding. Mm. But if I get on my mountain bike and you know do that six hour ride or three hour ride uphill, thirty minutes into it, like my brain starts working, and all the good all the like the good stuff starts happening. Yeah. That, you know, Stephen Kotler calls it the flow state. And yeah. It's, and I'm I'm now I'm very cognizant of it. Now I realize, you know, if I get up and I mean I was really bummed this morning. I woke up in some crappy hotel. And, and I went into their gym and they're just, it was this really shitty, just like it was, and I, and I was like lacking motivation. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I didn't kind of get into that space, ideally it's outside, but mm -hmm. where I'm, you know, about to vomit because I'm working hard, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it would cut down on like my creativity for the day. And it turns out like, a, you know, riding a bike up, the, you guys are the experts on this, but it's, it's just that, that ability to sort of, when you, when you get your heart beating at a mm -hmm. certain rate and you're sort of, you know, you're outside and your your sort of eyes are, you know, soaking it all in and your brain's soaking it all in. Then I can come back and put stuff on the whiteboard. But if I have to just, you know, walk straight out of the house and yeah. into my car and into the whiteboard, much harder. I, it There is, funny. I, I, would, I wouldn't say expert because we're still trying to figure out what it is, what you're talking about. But there is something there. there there's this bridge from physical exertion, either hard enough or long enough, but not both together. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that bridge allows the brain to function differently. And I like and that the differently part is the part that I'm interested, in, but it's also the part that's happening while it's functioning differently. Like the the experiential part of like why is my brain shifting and starting to do things that it doesn't normally do when it's sedentary or when I sit down to organize my thought, okay, now it's time to get articulate an idea and nothing comes out. And instead I'm just like YouTube video, dog, squirrel, yeah. whatever. Like <laughs> it's like the, the easiest thing to d get distracted. And so like f this physical exertion and I, I think everybody's different. I think Mark needs longer for it to start to brew uh, I might need a little bit harder hmm. or or something, you know, along those lines. But then when it clicks over, it's like, I'm here again. And this is where I really like to be, which right. is not, it's really uncomfortable, um, but it's not unfamiliar. So you're okay with it. Like maybe, maybe that's it. And, and, you know, I said, I need to get close to vomiting. That's mm -hmm. actually not true. Like, I think for me, it, maybe it's somewhere in between you guys. It needs to be hard enough that it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm but long enough that I can, like manageable enough that I can do it for, you know, in the hours, like the starting point. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, now I'm into the zone and if yeah. I can just hang on longer, yeah. you know, and like it, it gets even better. And you better. never want to start. Like yeah. you never want to start the process. You're just like, oh God. Right. 
in it if you do the more frequently you start it though the more you can feel it and the better you get at That's feeling right. it and then the better you get at translating what you felt on paper and it's like once i stop i have to start again and it's like i've never done it before right and then maybe the first like month i get nothing and i'm like oh well i guess it doesn't work anymore i i think i, I think i <laughs> you know that's one thing that i got as a kid you know i, I was a gymnast in t- when oh, i was right. a kid and that's why i did you know a bunch of pull-ups yeah. and now i can reflect on that and i mean my mom and dad i don't know if i was ever really that interested in gymnastics mm. But I was I was pretty good at it, and my parents it was a nonprofit gym, and somehow through this crazy series of events, the gym was about to go out of business, and so they hired a new coach from Michigan, this like young guy, national team member, and he moved into our house when I was like oh, no twelve years old. Tony Lanzara was his name, and I just remember he was a fucking stud. This guy, like he, you know, fresh off the national team, twenty three years old. And this, and I remember he rolled into town. He had like a big old Harley with like the hot, like the chop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Super fit, good looking dude. And he was living in our garage all of the sudden. And he had this huge, like three foot water bong downstairs that I don't think my mom and dad understood what it was. It's a broken lava lamp. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think he had a lava lamp too. You know, he was like that guy. And all of a sudden, like it went from I had a choice and like gymnastics was this recreational activity to like, I was going to the gym six days a week on the back of his Harley, and I was staying there for like three to four <laughs> hours a day because he oh, was he was my ride home. I'm just and, care, I just want to stop just for a second because your parents are very trusting. Yeah, like the the, the old the teachers with the beers, the, <laughs> the young dude on a Harley that's has a bong. Like <laughs> this is fantastic. First of all, and I'm just thinking, my parents would never have gone for that. I don't know if they under. Maybe they did. Maybe I underestimate what they understood. Yeah. Maybe they really did understand what was going down, and they thought, no, no, these are like good experiences. These are great experiences with people that, you know, they still they under they had a true north. Yeah, and Tony's true north was he liked to work hard like he well, i went into that gym and it i don't i mean i i reserved it fucking hurt mm. from the minute i walked in the door until i walked out three and a half hours later four hours later and it was five days sometimes six days mm-hmm. a week i would go in there and it hurt and it was scary and it was every single day you would i mean and it was and i learned i think i learned then like oh this is like the more you do it, it's mm-hmm. still painful, but like, you know, 10 on the pain threshold didn't feel like 10 if you were there all the time. Yeah. Until mm-hmm. Tony would then turn it up to 11. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah. 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 11. Uh, hurts, there's 11. another gear and yes. I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, but now I, I, like, I kind of look back at that time and sort of being, because as a kid, you just, you know, I had no idea what, it's just that's what I did. And that's what, you know, I just had to go into the gym and, and it was, and you, you know, now I don't think I can get myself to work as hard as I did when I was 13. But you probably don't need to, because yeah. um, that's a formative thing, right? And I'm trying to think, I've met people who have never felt that, who have never felt how good it is to just like work really hard and, and really dial, like get used to and change your threshold with uh, discomfort. Right. And they make terrible people. Like, yeah, kind of lazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. even if they're hardworking, there's something about 
I don't. I, maybe I can't pinpoint it, but there's something where you're like, something's not there. The pieces are not together. Like there's a huge chunk missing. People that um, have an aversion to discomfort really bother me. Hmm. I'm that's yeah, yeah. Lazy's probably the wrong word. You're right. It's it's because you can work really hard, but just there's a there's a line that you won't cross. Like yeah. someone won't cross. And, and it is it's a very fundamentally physical work, like physical hard work. Um, but I, there's always something. If somebody can work hard, there's something we have in common. And not like, I, I'm just, fit, if somebody's physical, like we kind of have a communication that's different. Like oh, every word you're saying, I'm like, oh yeah, that sensation. Like, And I can understand kind of the character you're building out of Tony is like, you know, the kid figured something out. Oh yeah, the, and that like maybe that's what his pedigree was, and you know, with the bong, he figured some other things out. Like, right. that, like, <laughs> like he's figuring a lot of shit out. <laughs> I I remember now. I look back at that, and I mean, it was way before, you know. I mean, it, his his thing was we would get in trouble, and then we would end up doing like you, you know, there'd be twenty of us between the girls and the guys, and we were all kind of the elite team, and he would set up twenty like rotations. You know, you're going to do pull ups. You're going to do sit-ups. You're going to jump on that three-foot foam mat. And, I'm, and it's going to be a minute per, like, rotation. And if you stop, we're going to add, a, like, three minutes to the route. And we'd do it for, like, an hour and a half. You'd be just like, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was crazy. We'd limp out, of, yeah. oh, limp out of the building and just, I, I remember it was such a delight to sit in school the next day. You're just in your chair and thinking, oh, this is so pleasurable. Yeah. All I need to do is think about geometry right now. In, in I, this case, I don't have to, yeah. <laughs> this is where I'll say, I, and I'll say it because we're a, you know, we're a fitness podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is where it pays off to be naive with training. When people ask like, no, I want the most optimal thing. I want it like, you're missing out on something. You're missing out on fucking it up because the best lessons I ever had were the most disastrous training schemes that nobody should ever do. Like bear crawling a mile with dumbbells is just not a smart thing to do. But, you know, and the skin on my hands, it took two months to grow the skin back on the front of my thumb. But that, those are the things that really change. Like you remember the feelings from how terrible that was. And if somebody looked at that at the time, they'd be like, that's not correct training. Right. Or, or maybe few people would. And even now they'd be like, man, you can really hurt somebody. And you're like, no, you you made a human being better. Like right. you... Uh, well, yeah. we, it, it's not a lot of people are like athletic building in here. No, you're like soul making, right? You're like, That's right. you're generating the thing that is not material in a human being that gives them essence. I mean, I go back to, you know, and this speaks to adventure and Mark, you're the, you know, the, you're, you're OG in this, <laughs> but it's like, it, it, you don't remember. I mean, frankly, you, I don't, I don't have fond memories of the trips that were smooth <laughs> you know my, my the <laughs> I, best I was, memories do you, the, do you even remember barely, the trips that barely were smooth? yeah you know barely i remember the people yeah. but probably not the experience and it's the trips where th like all the shit hit the fan and it was <laughs> it sort of it didn't go well and and it, it was hard and there was doubt about whether you were going to do it and you know there was fear of of yeah. mortality you know you actually were thinking about mortality in the moment those are the those are the adventures that we remember the most and yeah. i think you know when i think about the i think there's that parallel between what tony subjected us to in the gym and and the trips that like are the most memorable i remember <laughs> those workouts i don't remember the workout i did at the hotel gym yeah. a week ago in australia yeah. but i definitely remember tony's workouts and i don't remember the 
perfect weather climbing days. Not many of them, but I definitely remember the you know trips to Alaska where it was brutal. <laughs> I I was actually I was just thinking like oh he's described the, <laughs> described because uh, I remember like one of the first most sort of powerful mountain experiences. I'd already had a number, but it was my first trip to Alaska in 85. And I was uh, with John Stoddard. We'd gotten 11 pitches up the Hammonegs uh, Coolar on South Face of the Mrs. Tooth. He got hit in the face by the rock. And we oh. had a retreat. I was like, man, that's really fucking serious. And waited five days or whatever. Then we're up. Um, day one climbed uh, 16 pitches up the North Buttress of the Rooster Comb. He fell off the 17th pitch and broke his ankle. And Ugh. we, and then we had 17 pitches to retreat a mile, you know, or plus of him crawling back across the glacier while I'd like try, try to make a trench that he could crawl in, get him in the tent, then no radio contact, like, you know, and no one was flying over. We stamped out like help in the snow and everything. And I, I knew that planes were going in and out of the mountain house, but we were up on the Northwest Fork of the Ruth. He couldn't go with me because he was not ambulatory. So I had to, I skied from, you know, the base of the North Bush of the Rooster Comb or on that Northwest Fork of the Ruth down to the mountain house unroped. Wow. Wow. So that I could right. find someone with a CB radio to get a pilot to come in and get us. And I look back at that now and I'm like, no. A total got away, you know, got away with it right something um and yeah i would never do that again but i will also never fucking forget of like, course like right. that is just indelibly etched yeah. in <laughs> my the non-material part of whatever that makes me me <laughs> yeah that's exactly it. yeah that's exactly it like that story when you tell that story you think that's right so many things could have gone wrong. So many things already oh, did go wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think about it, I'm like, okay, so that's 30 plus years ago, 1985, 34 years ago. Is wow. that what wow. that makes it? And Fuck. and to, to, <laughs> to realize, like, oh, yeah. And I remember the book I was reading in the, you know, in base camp. I remember, like, so, so vividly each oh that was those boots and I had that jacket but I had a pair of you know insulated bibs from that Bouchard had made you know like uh, like everything has a texture and a taste and a feel to it that much later because it was so powerful and because you know shit hit the fan and then hit us right mm. and like what a and and actually that's there's a the, the oldest picture in Refuge is from that from that uh, trip. From that trip, yeah. Oh, no kidding. It's, it's okay. yeah, somewhere him on the 14th or 15th pitch or, or something. Look, you know, you can see the glacier way, way down there. And like, hmm. yeah. Um, and a smooth day. Yeah. Fun yeah. rock climbing. Occasionally, yeah. You, you, you sort of remember it. Yeah. yeah. You enjoy it in the moment. You're like, yeah. man, this is really fun. It's easy. Actually, I, but, it I, I but it didn't leave like a, a yeah. mark, you know, right. in, in right. a way. I, and I, think, I that's, think it's what you just said. It's remembering all of that texture and the details. That sticks on those, on the days, the trips, where it's really uncomfortable and dangerous and it's, yeah. you know, it's a close call. I, I can still remember some of those fine weather days of climbing, but a lot of the texture goes away. It's okay. a lot of those other details 
you know, they sort of, it's just, I remember that moment. That's about, I just remember that event. I don't have the kind of the entire story yeah. because there is no story. Yeah. There, there, that's it. That's, so, I mean, so there's no need for detail right, to be, right. you know. I've got one question that I think, um, well, it's a personal one for me because I, I think about this often. When I made the decision to be unemployable, um, I realized that it was going to be very difficult and I would never feel safe. And you seem like somebody who feels pretty secure. Is there, was there a time or it, there isn't a time where you felt like your profession was secure and you could make things happen and you felt like this is a normal job almost? I think there was a time, I think there was a time where I realized I had this epiphany that it made, it was totally useless to worry about the inevitability of if the shit hit the fan. Mm -hmm. I realized that's just a complete waste of my time mm -hmm. to sit and dwell on like, oh God, what if no one hires me? What if no one buys the pictures? What if, and I realized that because you can spend a lot of time doing that. Like yeah. you can you can actually really sort of burn 20 or 40 or you know 60% of your mental energy and capacity worrying or planning. And then I, I and I was pretty young. I remember being in my 20s and thinking, okay, I need to stop doing that because it's first of all like I've in this short window of time that hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. It's the phone keeps on ringing and I if I just keep on putting all of this energy in, there's no reason that it should change if mm -hmm. I keep on working hard. And I just, I remember like vividly sitting in my apartment in Fresno. I was, I was <laughs> barely hanging on at Fresno State because it was close to Yosemite National mm -hmm. Park at the yeah. time. And, and I just remember sitting in my, this crappy apartment and thinking, all right, that's it. Today I'm done worrying about this. I'm, I'm never going to think about what the worst case scenario looks like until I'm staring it in the eyes because it's not going <laughs> to... Until uh, I'm wondering, is this the worst yeah, case that's, scenario? That's yeah. yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. But, and I can honestly say there have been very few occasions over the, you know, the 25 years following that day in my apartment where I've lost much time. You know, there's moments now with business partners where we'll sit down and we'll talk about, you know, once every two years, we'll sit down and say like, okay, what if the shit really hit the mm. fan? What would this look like? But we do it for two or three hours and then we sort of, you know, put yeah. it behind us and move on. And I've just embraced that I'm a completely unemployable guy. Like I, <laughs> I'm just, like I don't, I could not hold a real <laughs> job. I, I can't imagine a world yeah. where someone was giving me tasks to accomplish <laughs> yeah. on a timeline. I, I mean, I'd, I'd just be at a loss. And to be it. there for a certain time where you were supposed to work on a thing, but if you finished it really quick, you would just earn yourself more work. So you just kind of delay the inevitable. Uh, uh, would, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I, yeah. I, so Talk I, don't, about I fear. don't know if that's the answer, but I, but yeah. I do, I do feel like I just long ago thought, okay, look, the formula is super simple. Yeah. You work really hard all the time. Mm. You try to do better than what I did the last time. I try to perform at a higher level, and you just and that's it. You just keep on doing it, and you yeah. accept that you're gonna. Yeah, I need to like sell. I need to make money somewhere along the line. But if mm. I do those two things, work really hard, do it better than I did the time before, mm -hmm. and and that was the other. I was we were talking about Ace Cavalli in the, yeah. in the kitchen, and this other thing that I remember Ace telling me years ago, and he's like, and don't be an asshole. Like do it, be yeah. a good person, right? Those three things, you know, work really hard, 
overcome do your it better yeah. Effort. yeah yeah and and just be a good person like just be solid like the yeah. people yeah. and that's like that i mean that is like the that's my business plan i mean i think that's been the business plan for <laughs> it's funny because you were talking about like uh there was the one day and i decided okay from this day forward i don't worry about the yeah. outcome anymore and, I, and i've had a, a, a um the long periods of not being you know i'll deal with it if it happens you know but right. for right now i'm pretty confident that i can at least pe- put these things together i remember distinctly in um 1998 i walked i was coming back from the michigan ice fest i was driving back to boulder and somewhere in nebraska um left the highway sideways going 65 miles an hour and then was able to walk away from a triple rollover right wow um and uh and and in the sort of month or six weeks after that car accident i was freaked out about everything Mm. and then that went away and and you know whatever you know life developed as it as as it has in various jobs careers reinvention etc now i find myself thinking uh, i'm back in that spot of thinking what if this doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) like because we've been plugging away at this for a while and you know still not sort of paid ourselves or whatever because everything's getting you know rolled back in or uh to try and make continue making stuff and I guess I should just stop worrying because because uh, it's either going to or it's or not, it's not. And, yeah. you know, I'll... And either way, I'm still going to work hard and try to produce good stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I can not be an asshole. That's kind of inherently... That's funny. That's, I, you know, I, I mean, there's, there have definitely been moments along the way where, you know, I sort of was doing my best to ignore... The like, you know, don't worry about whether it's working or not. And then you look at your bank account. Yeah, and you know, like, fuck, mm. it's, yeah. Okay, now, and sadly, it, uh, it turns out it's tied, usually that fear of like, it's not working is, it's financial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and but but I would I would inevitably put my head down and say, like, just don't worry about that right now. And, and it would immediately correct itself. Yeah. I mean, it would, sometimes yeah. it would take, you know, digging a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes it was a cash flow thing of, yeah. it's not that I wasn't doing it or there wasn't money. It was just, there was Delayed, a long tail but, for yeah. it to, to come in. And yeah, I, but you guys also have, Mark, you in particular, you have more experience with the reinventing part. I feel like you've got, you've got some time on me in terms of, you know, I'm maybe, maybe, I mean, if, at the core, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm taking pictures and you know, I've kind of added video right. to this equation and now I'm learning how to manage a staff, a bigger team. But I've, you know, the, the total reinvention part, I've, I just have less experience with and like that I couldn't vouch for, you know, as we, you know, that I don't know. May, I think I would still apply the same philosophy of like, you know. What, mm. Yeah, it doesn't change. What made you won't, you know, when we say total reinvention, it's right. not like Etch-A-Sketch, you right. shake it and it goes completely blank with no prior history or something. It's, you know, the the habits that you had, the things that stood you in good stead, let's say, um, you know, the, 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 the work ethic, all of that stuff, that, won't, that wouldn't go away if you suddenly decided, okay, and it's not, these are no longer the tool. I'm going to use a different tool now to express the same, right. you know, internal sort of integrity or temperament. And um, yeah, and it never hasn't, it, it's always worked. So why am I worried about it? This, you know, right. In, right. in in one way, but, um, but the, the uh, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I, 
wouldn't recommend like to anyone like hey you should just stop doing what you're doing and do something completely different like that's a ridiculous bit of advice I mean, I, I was describing one of my, my business partners, Lincoln, as, you know, the smartest mm-hmm. guy that's also the most talented. And, you know, he's just... And and one of the great things in our relationship is that I am the guy that... I mean, that, that I've never articulated it this way. I've never had this conversation. But I, I definitely... That decision I made in my apartment in Fresno has affected me to this day. And when we do get into those partner conversations about the what-ifs... yeah. I'm still the guy that says, yeah, okay, that's fine. But let's just like stay focused on what we're doing. And I'm not going to worry. Like, no, I'm not worried about mm-hmm. what, I'm not losing sleep over it. And I, and I can, and it's great to have partners, business okay. partners that don't think the same way that you do. Sure. Because it turns out like, you know, they're, <laughs> they're considering that I'm, I'm just focused wholly all the time on, you know, what's the coolest thing we can be doing mm-hmm. now and tomorrow not concerned about what we already did yeah and it's but it's great to have like kind of the big kid in the room who's a little more cerebral and actually saying okay but let's still write this down like what's the plan what is let's just have a little bit of a plan let's just get, put it, some yeah, framework yeah, a little yeah, that's bit right <laughs> tiny yeah, that's contingencies right. like, <laughs> and i've and i've just i've always had that thinking which is i want to surround myself by people you know that are smarter better looking funnier you know faster and it's and that works and that that's I think it actually helps buffer sort of my simplistic view on business and life, which is no just go and do it really hard as much as you possibly can, can. all the time, <laughs> and and you know but but yeah. it's worked for me. I mean that yeah. that, that is certainly you got to find the Ryan Gosling of your business that just like is good at everything, like right? An asshole. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I thought that guy was like just a pretty actor and he's like oh he's a good looking guy who can act really well and then i heard his band and i was like and it was Fucker good to can sing andy's creative and he's like <laughs> and he hit it like he didn't like yeah. advertise that that's his band uh dead man's bones okay yeah anyway side track a follow-up <laughs> to that because i think this is like so if you um if you were good at not worrying about um the lack of success what do you think like success is to you yeah you know for me for me it really is feeling pretty damn satisfied Mm. with the experiences i'm having on like a regular basis i i actually mark and i were having a conversation in the kitchen which you might have walked in on the tail Mm. end of yeah where i you know I, i like long ago tried and continue to try to detach myself from the final product the sort of the delivery and the audience acceptance mm-hmm. and and let me let me let me clear let me drill down on this a little bit um i'm like the guy that's about the journey right like mm-hmm. i'm the journey is hopefully better than to arrive mm-hmm. i actually just love being in the journey like i crave the experience part mm-hmm. You know, I, I like from the minute we start planning the trip to packing, to going to the airport with a mm-hmm. ton of luggage and sitting in the plane and then the chicken bus and mm-hmm. getting on the boat and sitting in the tent and getting on the mountain. And, and I'm using the metaphor of climbing sure, yeah. you know, the mountains, but it applies to anything that I do in storytelling and video and photography. And if we never, and this is, this might be very different than Mark, but 
it's okay with me if we don't get to the top. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's actually totally fine with me if we don't get to the top. It's actually okay with me if I shoot the story and it never becomes the national ad or it's not the cover yeah. of the magazine or if the editor picks images that I'm not a huge fan of. I, I've, I've already detached myself from that. Like I already won. I I like got the grand prize. You go. You got to have the experience I was under there. the banner of the thing. That that's they it. Were, yeah. I was there. I was on the journey. Yeah, and so that's something for me. Like what? So what's success? Like how do I measure it? It's just it's stacking up really good journeys that I that I later can sit here and tell mm-hmm. stories about, and and the pictures or the videos that I've shot along the way. Those are almost the triggers to remember those stories. Yeah. So that's that. I mean, and of course, and I'd I'd be a total. I mean, I have to admit that the other part is, I've got to make some money along the way so mm-hmm. I can pay the bills and go on the next journey. Right. And so that is for me. It's it's sort of like if I can be on a on a trip that is a, it's a great journey mm-hmm. with people that I actually enjoy being around. That's really key. I I know that I have zero tolerance for spending time around folks that I can't stand. And and I think I picked that up early too. Yeah, I just you know trips with assholes like they're done. Yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I'll just and and I've just I got much better at vetting folks that I was going to go on a trip with. It's sort of I just quickly realized like I'm not happy. I'm not creative. Do you have like a single question that will egg them out? <laughs> I, you know, I think I'm pretty good at just reading okay. people. I think I'm pretty good at reading people. You can you know just their demeanor. And mm-hmm. It's really hard for people to hide who they are especially on long trips yeah i i think even in one-on-one situations i think i can sit down and to have a beer with someone and you know certainly by the second beer i've I've got a pretty good handle man i'm I'm i am too hopeful sometimes (laughs) (laughs) mark's mind is too hopeful see you're you're off to yeah that's that's that is it's a secret optimist (laughs) it's closet optimist and i I, I tried coming out but then just just felt unsafe it was too dark in Uh, here i liked it too much (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) but it's funny because i look back on some of you know the more memorable trips that I went on, we're with that, you know, people that, you know, we're kind of assholes. Oh, really? Right? See, that's yeah. interesting. I mean, yeah. and, and, and not that, not that it was, um, that it was memorable for other reasons, but, uh, but, j- or, or go into the mountains with someone who I, you know, t- you know, three or four or five pitches up something and realize like, wow, you're, you you don't care about my safety by any, <laughs> any stretch of the imagination, dude. Like, uh, you know, or, or just, uh, something like that where I where I, I you make uh, make an assumption about and maybe this was more of a cultural thing um, about because we both do the same activity and we've been doing it for about the same amount of time at roughly the same level then there are, you know I make assumptions about the motivations right. for you know and the mm-hmm. behavior like if you've if you've been doing it for, for 10 fucking years and you're still alive you must be you know, relatively safe <laughs> um, about stuff. Like you start making assumptions about, you know, that that this these experiences, this history implies X, right. and then learn um, uh, that X was actually not the tr- I, the truth. And, and and why couldn't I see it? And how the fuck are you know, I've got three more weeks with this dude <laughs> you know, or something like that. You know, I love that. Which, I never thought I would hear you of all people say 
that you're too optimistic about the people. <laughs> but it is funny when you describe that though, I think I am the guy that sits there and meets that same guy and, and can totally see passes judgment, whether right or wrong. Yeah. I just, okay. I, pretty rarely have I been in that situation where I'm, you know, a week in and looking at my watch and saying, shoot, I've got two or three more weeks with this person and I can't stand them. Mm. Yeah. It's, you know, but there's a give and a take. I think also when you guys were doing some of those rad ascents, you know, there's also this, you're willing to compromise a little bit. Oh yeah. You might yeah. be willing to tolerate an asshole. For the sake of ambition. That's if right. I need, no. Okay. Yeah. I need yeah. someone who can lead these pitches Yeah, that I won't be able to, you know, or whatever, um, or someone who, I mean, just reading, uh, uh, Bernadette McDonald's book about Wojtek where he was just like, yeah, we invite, we would always invite the British cause they had hard currency, you know, was it like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like is he a good partner? Money. Yeah, he's got money. Which, you know, and being a little bit facetious there, but um, yeah, the, sometimes you're willing to sacrifice the thing, um, you know, or sacrifice the relationship and then, but it, and it took me a long time to realize like, I will never go climbing with people that I don't want to be with. It's too mm. important. It's too sacred. I'd rather not go climbing. Now you're there, right? Like yeah. you would, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, but that took, you know, some hard lessons being right. learned, you know, in a, in a way. Um, and I just, that's too sacred. Yeah. Like this, the, the activity is too important to share with someone that I don't want to spend time with, that I don't respect that, you know, f you know, for, for whatever reason. Um, and I would rather, like I said, not do the activity than do it with someone that, would color it in a negative that's way. certainly how i you know for me it was always i i learned i just i wouldn't go on a trip where i was tasked with documenting the adventure with someone who i couldn't stand okay because then it was it was sort of in a very simple there's a parallel to what you're saying it's just too sacred and like it kind of ruined the joy. And it would t you would tell us different, you would document a different story. That's right. I mean, I, in a sense. Like, and I'd be bitter, and I'm, why am I trying to make this look incredible when I have zero respect for this Yeah, person? I was going to say, you'd, be, you'd have a hard time seeing the goodness in somebody yes. that you despise. Yes, It's really right. difficult to separate the man from the capable person that yeah. you're trying to shoot. And, and you know, again, like as I hear you describe that, that I, I can see as a, as a climber with the ambition of getting to the getting up this route or, you know, getting to the summit, you know, I can see that compromise potentially, but I, I don't know. For me, I just early on. That's just, a really good analogy say, though. I think for most like ambition is sometimes um, overwhelming and we make concessions because of our ambition. We, we um, join with partners that we might not to because we know that we just need horsepower. And those don't make mm. meaningful. They're they're not long lasting relationships. You may in fact, and maybe that maybe there's something there where like you have this really deep satisfaction in the journeying and the adventuring, which I think is really smart. Like the to be satisfied with experience is probably the most genuine response that I've heard to like an idea of success. And ambition is destination driven. Therefore, you make concessions of the journey in order to make the destination. Like right. there's this really nice, whether you're talking about creating a business with somebody or like what I've really enjoyed about this is like all the things that we've made, I had, there was no, that was not the objective necessarily to set out. 
And I've just really enjoyed the experience of everything that we've learned along the way, conversations that we've had, just time in the office in silence. It's like, man, it's like it's always enjoyable, whether it's like picking his brain on music or, you know, laughing at the... (laughs) shamanlady.com yeah like all the experience is really worthwhile some of it's really frustrating shipping and receiving isn't fun but it's all worthwhile there's like it's deeply satisfying i know that we've done really good stuff i don't even know where it's going or that i care whether it's going which makes me think that i lack ambition Hmm. but i think it maybe it is just like i've chosen that one is more important than the other and i'm sad i could be satisfied with both if we reached a point where it was like Uh, it's really successful and people really like our stuff and they're constantly requesting more work like the phone is ringing kind of deal Um, that's satisfying too i don't think it's as satisfying as the other though i totally agree i mean and i I think i would be lying if i didn't say it still feels really good when somebody tells me there's dopamine yeah that's really good yeah (laughs) hey by the way you're getting the cover by the way like we want you to come back and shoot another campaign that's great. Mm-hmm. That's, but it's definitely not. That's I don't do it for that phone call. Right. I mean, you know, it's almost a necessary. Occasionally, they need to call me and say, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's going to be on the cover. Mm-hmm. We want you to do another campaign." But it's you know, if that's all I got out of it, I don't think I would be doing this. Yeah, no, I I understand that. Like, if, if there's something egotistical and also rewarding at the same time for somebody like uh, admiring and wanting your service like or or recognizing the work that you've done as in like you get as much as it pains me to admit it you like you get you know muscle and fitness or like men's health or men's men's fitness and they're like hey we want to do this thing on your stuff the part of me that hates them so much relents a little bit and goes "Ah, you really like me (laughs) <laughs> like I, you, and, and every time you're like, oh, I should do it because you know it's good information. No, really, you just want to be flattered. Right. Like it, it, it's really helpful to be flattered every once in a while for to act. And maybe it's not just flattery. It's just like, man, uh, organization recognizes my value, and that dopamine yeah. hit is really powerful. Yeah. But if you seek out that hit, you are you're on a different path. <laughs> yes. There, it's, you, in fact, it's been a fun... Uh, sorry, Mark. I, I was just going to say, you, you, um, if you seek out that hit, then um, what's going to happen is someone's going to piss all over your books, your pile <laughs> of books and shoot them. And you'll, you know... <laughs> that was one of the most amazing stories. I, I just... But it was seeking the wrong thing. It was, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, I got caught up in the... I needed to have the token to remember the experience by, and therefore I stepped over a line that, you know, got my book pissed on or whatever. <laughs> but, but, and, and I think it's, I would have to agree with, um, with Michael, just like that, yeah, we, part of the reason we have no ambition with the business is that that you would have to sort of identify like what does the summit look like yeah. you know what is what are we ambitious about what is it you know what do we hope it will become or something and we since we have no fucking idea we can't we just keep like having to you know do stuff and then hopefully it will you know a bit more flesh on the skeleton and suddenly it will you know it'll be something at some point but um but the the, but the process of it and the surprises that have come along with it are pretty um, have been satisfying enough. Mm. It's sure. been weird. Mm. We were talking about it a little bit <clears throat> before we sat down to record this. This idea, 
Um, well, you guys were editing the video, that video, and yeah. and and you were, you know, it's like that fine line of you're trying to communicate something, but you also don't want it to come off as marketing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yes, and and I've been walking this, you know, this is a new experience for me to do a book, and you know, part of the deal is like, why do a book if nobody sees it? And so then there, <laughs> it, there's there is the necessity to market and do PR, yeah. and and it's been this really odd like this dilemma in my head it feels odd to kind of work with the publicist and you know the publisher and and reach out for you know the mm -hmm. you know to be in this moment where i want muscle and fitness to mm -hmm. do a story you know i'm, I'm making that up sure, because yeah, you yeah. brought up them i want them to do a story about the book and it's at one level i'm celebrating it when we get these little successes and you know the you know the a magazine or a newspaper or a television network decides to do something it's like you're celebrating, and then at another level, I cringe a little bit. It's like, oh, this just feels a little weird. It feels it's like icky. this is, I'm going right yeah. for the summit. That's it. Like I'm going. I'm. Yeah. My whole life is about the journey, not to arrive. <laughs> to and summit. I'm just begging for yeah. arrival. And look, there's some fixed ropes I can pull on, and <laughs> and wow, here's some oxygen. Yeah. And you know, oh, I can like, hire a guy to you, help yeah. me actually like jug <laughs> the ropes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, there's something that I just don't. I don't want to be that author that answers the philosophical question of a tree making noise when no one's there to hear right. it like i don't <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to yeah. just have a dud like man right. i really but it goes against everything that i believe yeah. in to do the opposite which is to sell right or you know and maybe i don't like maybe i actually do agree with selling i just don't like how it's been done yeah that i've seen and witnessed and the, i'm and i'm owning it like i made yeah. that decision that like no i'm i'm i did this book i put 10,000 hours and, mm -hmm. and a lifetime into this book. I was going to say it's a lifetime. Yeah. If nobody <laughs> sees it, what's the point? So it's, mm -hmm. okay, so how does this work? Well, the way it works is you try to get it in front of people and you talk about it and you share and you stand in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and the goal is to get people to actually sort of connect in some way so that they give a shit mm -hmm. to like read the book or look at the book and hopefully... And at the end goal is to like move people in some way, mm -hmm. right? It's some, yeah. Somehow I hope they look at this book, read it, and it affects them in some small way, in a, hopefully in a positive way. But you wouldn't yeah. stand there. You wouldn't, you know, do the public, you know, the no. publicity tour and that kind of thing if you didn't believe that what was, what is in the book was, had value. That's right. And could move people. And so I think, you know, hey, what if you write a book and, you know, no one reads it? Well, then it was a bad book, right? You know, and uh, you know, maybe. No, I think that's but, fair. I think um, that's fair. But if you, and maybe you didn't believe in it enough to go out and you know promote it, sell it, whatever, and um, and and I think that's a it's an admirable sort of objective there is to like okay, I want to get it in front of people who might be affected by it because this is. 30 years or whatever of right. lessons and ideas and and experiences from which you know you never know what someone's going to learn from a certain thing even if it wasn't intended as a as a teaching point or a lesson or an idea and um and you know i, I feel like we've kind of fallen short with refuge in some ways in in terms of the marketing but i also know that um it will um it, it now has a life and it will continue to to, of to grow, and and we'll you know find our way around. Because I think it is valuable. I think there is like, um, and my point when I gave my talk up in Banff was, you know, I'm just like, look, I want 
people in this room to never be able to forget that they were here. Right. Right. Like if I can make people feel then, then I would consider that a success. And, and I, I think that's, that's why you make a book and it's why you try and actually market it, which will maybe, we will maybe figure out at some point. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But so, so that, so that, a greater number of people are affected by that's it. That's right. Than, than, it's than, it's definitely yeah. I've noticed in in giving these talks. You know, it's in some ways it's like a little bit of a a horrifying. It's like a celebration at one level. It's yeah. incredible to stand in front of an audience if they're soaking it in, mm-hmm. if they're reacting and like yeah. they're into it. It's also like scary. You never know if you're going to show up and there's 12 people in the audience yeah. and then that's very painful like, oh, for everybody so to watch. And but I will say that like last night in Salt Lake City was a highlight. Because you guys have two universities nearby, yeah, yeah, and the room was full of young people, like in their you know mid twenties, and I could just see people glowing in the room, like just you could just feel the energy. You just felt there were a bunch of people in that room that are in that stage in their life where they can take that sabbatical, that mm-hmm. break. They can go and do the walkabout and figure out who they are and what they want. And I had that same feeling in Boston. You know, it's a town mm-hmm. with, you know, 40 universities and colleges and the room was full of 20-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And it was just a totally different energy and I found yeah. I found I I got into I just started telling stories. I went into more depth and I was mm-hmm. I think I was more entertaining. I was like my A game turned on because I felt like I was connecting with people in the audience. Yeah. It's different when you have a room full of 50-year-olds. And they're yeah. you know, like that for the most part, for most of the folks in that room, they're, they're not looking for that. They're not reinventing on a regular basis. Exactly. That kid who's 20, they're in the first round of invention. And it's, you know, they're, they're sponges. They're just soaking it in when you and just stand willing to go try that's, stuff. That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. And so I, I found last night was actually pretty fascinating to sort of stand there and, and sort of watch heads nodding and, you know, guys looking at their buddies and punching them in the arm and girlfriends. Like yeah, we're going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're doing it. We're, I, yeah. I kind of had this um, thought because I don't, um, I don't plan on and probably won't have a child myself. And I, I thought about it like, ah, there's, I'm missing out on something there, but it might just be a specific, maybe it's just something really specific that I'm missing out on. I'm trying to think of what it is. And it, it made me think about other people that I respect that also don't have children and how, and I, I take it as this weird wordplay thing, how um, my dad used to harp on me. He's highly religious and uh, he'd always admonish like people for sun worshiping hmm. and like, Oh yeah, they're just like, you know, plebeian sun worshipers. They don't know anything. And I think, I think about it now and I'm like, they're probably the most in tune people, people that worship the sun. Uh, and I, I think because they know that it gave life to everything. And so they think of a creation as a sequence, like the sun, S O N or S U N as in sun, like it gives life to other things. And they try to reflect on that. And I thought of like the things that we do are these just ideas. Like those are kind of our genetics that we're handing down to people that can absorb them and to talk to a room full of 20 year old impressionable people that have access uh and are interested obviously in the subject matter that you're talking about i mean you're basically creating um i'm not going to say a family because it's not what i mean but a a bunch of bastard children that are going to take your ideas and make something out of it. And they'll probably come back and be, you know, if you're 
there to catch it. Hey, I saw you at Patagonia in Salt Lake City in 2019. Ten years later, I did all this stuff. Right. It kind of really, maybe it's not all credit to you, but there's a spark there yeah, that happens. Little bit, yeah. And you kind of, maybe that, like that's something that I think everybody wants. They want to see their idea passed down like you would to a daughter or a son that takes up skiing or climbing. Because they're like, man, they're appreciating the thing that I appreciated. It's a reflection of the work that you've done. I think that's something to strive for. And I think you should enjoy exactly what you're experiencing. Like you've had all these adventures. You've documented them in a very clear and articulate way. And now you have the opportunity to inform other people. And yeah, you should sell, like they should buy the book because that, that book isn't just a sales to pad your bank account. It's actually to help pad your satisfaction of the work that you've done. Yeah, it, it's definitely, and it goes back to that journey thing. Mm -hmm. I think I got as much satisfaction. I'm okay if they never come back sure. to me. I, in fact, yeah. I'll be really awkward in 10 years if they come back and sure. say, man, you really moved me. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, I, Oh, that thanks. one that yeah. I didn't swear at? Sorry. Like I, yes, yeah. I, think is, I remember yeah. that night I was trying not to curse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're unemployable too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but it is, I, I realize, I think in that moment, and it comes back to that journey piece, that was satisfying enough. I walked out of that room and, you know, there were a couple of like young kids as I got in the Uber and one of them said, oh man, I, ah, you don't need to get an Uber. I'd love to give you a ride. We'll all get in the car and give you a ride. And I, but the Uber had already pulled up and I just thought, that's awesome. Like these guys, guys, men and women, like they were moved by what I said. And, uh, you know, I, I stepped into that role of, I had many mentors and, and it started mm. with, Bob Porter, that teacher that took me climbing and George yeah. Egbert. And it's, I think that's, I was just doing, I was doing my piece and paying it forward last night. And maybe, maybe with this book, it's just paying it forward mm. where I wouldn't be who I am if it weren't for many people. And many of them turned out to be teachers for whatever reason. You know, many of them ended up being educators, you know, and Tony Lanzara, you know, yeah. with his, with his uh, bike and bong. <laughs> <laughs> but it, the interesting thing about the, the, the book uh, I mean, uh, th it, that makes me certain that making a book is important is that it will remain a physical artifact that someone will refer to. Like if I get, if somebody, you know, the, the book festival in Banff or whatever, you know, came up and, you know, I, I signed a number of copies of Extreme Alpinism. That book is 20 fucking years right. old. That's cool. Yeah, yeah that's and really cool. And the, the fact that people still are, you know, refer to it, look at it, carry it around right. would be, will I just feel like, okay, so this is the story that's passed on in a, it, where I feel like even if the entire thing, and it, it maybe even is, um, if the entire thing was available digitally, yeah, it would not and but and only digitally it wouldn't have the same it's not like the thing that you pass on to someone like in 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 there is no gesture of buying a book and giving it to someone or taking yeah. your copy that mm. was underlined that had the post-it notes right. or whatever and passing it on to some next you know it's true younger you, generation. you don't airdrop your digital version to your buddy yeah it's it, just it's true it, it exactly just goes away. it yeah. doesn't it's not handed from person to person it exists always in the virtual yeah. you know whatever thing that's everywhere so i think that making a book and especially something that has stories that are powerful enough to affect people in some way um is is you know an important act in in a way to 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 have like the 
you know, an, an analog art. I mean, I've been starting to calling it an artifact because I think it's what they will all be at some point. Um, but to, to, to actually have that physical thing that has weight, that has the texture to it, like that you notice when you picked up the soft cover version versus the hard, that like you relate to it differently. Um, it, it's, and I like, okay, I think I'm damn certain we're doing good things by making books. I agree. I think, <laughs> and I, I will say, I think you guys are breaking the mold or we are as a society with what we're doing right here. I think these long form call it a podcast, mm. call it whatever. Yeah. I think this lasts forever. I think this is gonna be like, there's something about text in digital format or text and photos in a digital format. It just, it's so temporary. Yeah, It does feel super, it, but, it's but temporary in the brain too. But I think it's that's based on the way that we consume it. That's right. Yeah. The, based on the way that we, we it's, it's disposable because the when we access those images and those texts, it's, in a at a point when we are trying to waste time mm, that's i i, I would agree I, and, right and I, I mean if we if, if i'm just like thinking yeah. about relating via you know through the phone yeah. let's just say um and whereas if i have a book i've actually made a conscious choice to sit down and put the book on my lap or whatever and open it up and 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 relate to it in some way um and and so it's a, it, I've made a choice about how I'm going to use my time. Whereas I'm standing in line at target waiting because, you know, the two checkout peep checkout people were on break and that means the line is really long. And yeah. so then now I'm going to look flipping at flipping through, flipping yeah. through the thing, mm. um, where it wasn't really a conscious choice to have, to try and learn something, try and feel something, try and understand something. It's just like, this is what I do. So I don't have to be where I mm -hmm. am. It's almost like the things that are easy to access are easy to lose. Like the, even the concepts and ideas or the pictures that move you, like it's really rare that you look or flipping through Instagram or like some sort of digital media where you are ca captivated by a picture almost nonstop. Like some art I'll stop on and just be like, oh, wow, that is really impressive. Um, like there's a couple of painters, like oil painters where you're just like, yeah, I just trying to find the texture and it, it'll take me a minute to look at the picture. There's very few photographs that do that on Instagram unless it's from a photographer that I know is a like I know what the real thing probably looks like in real life and is probably mind blowing. Uh, but so you're able to too. extrapolate yeah. from the small image to the only because I know <laughs> like the person producing it. And there's articles like that too, but the even the words like I find you know, on Twitter, whatever you click on 140 uh, character thing and it has a tiny link and you go to the tiny link and the tiny link has an article and, you know, you try to click off the cookies acceptance and the banner comes up and you click off that and nice. then the ad comes up and you click off of that and then I read a paragraph and then the other ad comes up and I click off of that and then I go down and I don't remember any of it. It could yeah. be the best written thing and I could be blown away by how awesome the author is and I'll just, and then it's gone. And then I don't remember where I saw it. I don't remember what it was about. Do you think this form of conversation, this podcast mm -hmm. long form, I feel like this captivates me in a different way mm -hmm. than reading online content or looking at even an ebook. I actually, I, I can remember podcasts that I've listened to three years ago yes. where it was a fascinating, I might not remember everything, mm -hmm. but I'll remember that character, the conversation or sort of that narrative. I, I think there's something special in this. I think this will last for a long time. I think these, you know, 
when when Rogan interviewed, I'm making it up, mm -hmm. whoever it is, and you listened for two and a half hours, and you were captivated the whole time. I oh, think, the Rob Zombie episode. Yeah, yeah that one. It must be the one you're talking about. <laughs> no, I think that I think that's right. I, I think that, um, that people can't hide, and when you can um, hear somebody for three hours not hiding, I think that's captivating. No matter what the subject matter you're interested in, um, and then sometimes it's just surprising how dull some people are, or how mm -hmm. some people are just so really good at writing, but not really good at speaking, or you know, the opposite. Um, how maybe I didn't take somebody's idea seriously until I heard them talk mm -hmm. and then really took them seriously. Like I'll, I'll, the Joe Rogan example, I'll remember uh, Naval Ravikant was on um, the Knowledge Project podcast with uh, Shane uh, first when I first heard him. And I like that. I listened to it three times mm -hmm. and I'll never forget. I mean, some of the things, some of the imagery he gives over the course of like this 90 minute interview was like him shaving in the mirror getting ready for the podcast he was mm. just talking about how his day went and it's like he made so these basic concepts so tangible for the everyday person that it's like that was one of the most powerful things i've ever listened to and it was seemingly just talking to him like right. i get the impression that's like talking to him every day and it might be yeah, or, or maybe yeah. that's the illusion of it. But I think you're right. There's something in long form that is totally different. Unedited, I think, is also the thing. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's and it's digital. That's why I pointed yeah. out. It's, yeah. I think yeah. similar to a book that it's going to stay on a shelf. And get, it's hard to throw away books. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, there's something about, you know, uh, uh, long form interviews mm -hmm. that I think they're just going to live for a long time online. And I don't know, it has an effect on, I just remember some of those mm -hmm. interviews better than I do all the other stuff, all the other noise that I look at or listen to. Well, I certainly hope it lasts a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It, it, and, and conceptually, it, um, you know, to go back, I'm just like, what was episode 437 of the Joe Rogan podcast or something? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. uh, at, there's an, a, a mine yeah there to go down and explore which i think is um do, do you know what else i think is interesting about that there's a mine of information there but you're also in real time watching somebody learn and change who they are mm -hmm. as a person because you yeah. you've really seen like i mean i didn't like him at first i mean for the first like year he had the podcast i was listening i'd listen to one every once in a while i was like oh, i was just like a pothead and I didn't really like it. And he was really silly. And like a lot of his things were really dumb. And now you listen to him and you take him so seriously because you know he really thinks deeply about stuff and he really tries to understand things. And I think you've watched the evolution of somebody over 10 years. You've watched Certainly. it play out. And if you look at, you know, whatever the last episode he released with Chris Kresser from his very first one that had like the snowflakes digitally dropping and he's high out of his mind and the background is falling in on him and a yeah. uh, red band. Yeah, red band. You're just like... <laughs> the fuck happened and it's like he now oh I, you practiced yeah and i don't think it wasn't even like it didn't seem like intentional practice it was like all the people that come on have influenced him to one degree or another so you're looking at the combination of influences you're looking at what an environment could do to somebody it's like somebody goes on one trip what kind of person they're they? like right, they, they go sure. on one climbing expedition they're not much different they might have been blown away like you were on your first one but you start going on a hundred trips and you're like 
the 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 environment that you put yourself on changes you and then it informs what kind of environment you want to be in and now you'll notice the people he invites on to a show are you know the best at what they do mm-hmm. or they're noteworthy or they're funny or they're they're whatever they he has now fostered the kind of environment that now uh, i guess exponentially makes him the person that he wants to be right i think that that's a really cool part to watch in real time and they've created an environment joe you know mm-hmm. i don't know rogan yep. I, I wouldn't know if i bumped into him on the street but he's also created this environment where both parties show up mm-hmm ready to have a deep conversation like he makes yeah. the room comfortable <laughs> yeah you know i and i i've never watched the online version by the way i've I never i've never got i always hear them refer <laughs> yeah. to the youtube version and i've never got i have no idea what mm-hmm. it looks like or what you're seeing if you watch it on because the the it's the verbal piece which is so great it's just that oral the conversation this is, is it's so something deep. that comes up every mm-hmm. now and then you know here like you guys should you know put some you know the your podcasts on YouTube and so people can watch you guys talking. Like, do you realize how ridiculous that sounds that people would want to watch us talking? Um, and you know, admit every now and then if, you know, uh, I'll watch a YouTube conversation. Generally it starts out, um, with I'm, I got to leave and sparkles going to be in her crate, but she likes to have some noise. And so I'll put, you know, she can see the computer from her crate and then I'll put a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to be gone for like two and a half hours. I need a three hour conversation or whatever. Only one source for that <laughs> um, and put it on. And, and yeah, and it's just people talking. The imagery is not that compelling. It is, however, somewhat interesting to watch how people speak their mannerisms, mm-hmm. how they carry themselves. Mm-hmm. What's, you know, what is, what is this guy look like? What, you know, where is the person, where are the eyes right, looking when that individual is talking to the person who's right in front of them? It's and funny. I, I can see that being effective if you had, you know, a, a GoPro in the yeah, corner yeah, 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 yeah. and you forget about the cameras, mm-hmm. yeah. which maybe that's how Rogan does it. Now I want to, you know, see on the way setup. to the airport, I want yeah. to see the setup. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, but I, because, you know, my half of my job now is directing video projects. Mm. And I know that as soon as there's a camera and a crew, yeah. it, weird. it totally, it just changes. This conversation would be very different yeah. if there were three camera operators with cameras yeah. pointed at each of us and a wide. And Well, the microphones would change it right off it the bat. Already right? yeah. It already subtly changes it. That's yeah. right. But it's, this is far less than a camera. Than a camera. Yeah. And so that's why, I, my guess is- A camera and an operator. That's and, right. And my that's sense right. is that it, in, in Rogan's place that there's, these are just fic- static positions. I think you're right. Yeah. That's my and, guess. And either someone is- you know, apparently there's some software that will, yeah. you know, where you have the microphone slave to the camera and when input is going into that microphone, that switches to the camera mm-hmm. that is covering right. that particular person. That way you don't necessarily have to have a director in the background who's watching the feed from everybody and switching to the person who's talking, yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, so I think it, you know, he must have them uh, look unimportant enough or in, not in, not so intimidating as to have an effect on the conversation in a yeah. way. I um, think you're right. I think but, it's whoever the guy, I love that we're analyzing. Really yeah, I know, sure, right. but, it, but it I, is, but it is kind of cool because it goes back to this idea of, you know, what lasts and what doesn't mm-hmm. and what, you know, yeah. whatever that formula is, it's worked. Like it's actually worked and it's yeah. influenced 
you know, it's probably partially affected you guys doing this. It's this oh, idea yeah. that because you, those conversations are great. It has, but the, the interesting part is what, how many podcasts have started because of Joe Rogan's who knows, like I, 30%, I don't know, right. like the, yeah. the large percentage have, he's made the successful model and people look at the objective, like he's making so much money. Like we need a podcast because he's making so much money. There's very few people who are like, we need a podcast. He's having insanely good experiences. Right. And that's what I see when I see yeah. it. I'm like, he has the best conversations right. that are like, I wouldn't have had that mm -hmm. same conversation, but I'd like to have a similar one with some similar people that are also willing to go really deep on a subject. And it's just like, I think people, again, like people see people on top of mountaintops are like, man, I bet it feels great to be up there. And you'll look at it and be like, I bet it doesn't. I bet it feels really good to be back down on the ground, but I bet it feels awesome to go up and down and then look at it after and go, that was a great experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the the conversations that we have had in here, I mean, yesterday was a good example, actually, Re Rebecca Ferry, mm -hmm. Who uh, okay. Bex? Who had an exhibition at sure, Bear Falls? Sure. She was, you know. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. She was in here for a couple hours yesterday, and um, and and it, and the conversation went into place that or went in, you know, to down a couple of rabbit holes. I didn't think we were going to go down, and it was fantastic. The conversation that we had with Chris and James from the mm -hmm. We Move magazine, um, was it? It had to be, you know, we had to to, to do two hours one day and then two hours again the next day to. Because wow. it was so fucking good, the one that they did with Ron Kauk is for their podcast is fantastic. Oh, I want to listen to that. that um, sounds great. It's it's super cool because they they you know there's two traveling Brits you know just like going around the world you know meeting people and having experiences and and they <laughs> uh, act kind of met Ron by accident when they were in Yosemite and then one of the times you know they they st st started talking without recording. They said it went like five hours or four wow. hours and it got dark and, you know, complete and they just sat there in the darkness talking still. Um, and I thought, okay, that's why one has a podcast. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Is because, yeah, you have the two hours, that, you know, that they did record afterwards or the next day or whatever mm -hmm. it was with Ron and, and, um, which was super cool, but it was those four hours that, is yeah. was transformative for them as individuals and, you know who are who and are got them things. to that point where they could have a, a meaningful conversation with ron yeah because ron's a great example of you couldn't just turn on the mic and the recorder with ron yeah and he, he, the answer is no but after the five hour entry entry exam <laughs> it softens <laughs> up a little bit that's right that's <laughs> have you ever heard that ron, ron has a great story and you can cut me off if you've heard this but you know, I, I was pretty close to Ron when I was in, living in Fresno and in okay. Yosemite all the time. And Ron, I think I have these details correct. He gets called by Tom Cruise or Tom Cruise's people to to do like the stunt doubling, the cliffhanger, thing. The cliffhanger Mission Impossible, cliffhanger. Or no, it was Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Oh, was Mission it? Impossible. oh okay. And then yeah, the, the best thing. But that I think happened, he was on cliffhanger. I think he was. Too. Oh, that, that's yeah, what I'm mixing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but so he's on. He tells this great story, and I remember sitting in his house in El Portel when he had just come back from Telluride. And and Ron tells the story of, yeah, man, it was the craziest thing. I, I drove down to Mariposa or something and a private jet lands and picks me up and they fly me to Telluride and this you know chauffeur drives me up to this incredible house in Telluride and 
you know, all of a sudden I'm standing there and I knock at the door and Tom Cruise opens the door and he says, hey man, Ron, Cow- you know, Ron, nice to meet you. And, and Ron says, hey, real nice to meet you too. And he says, Tom Cruise says to Ron, yeah, I've seen all your movies. I'm so, this is so great to be in your, and Ron really quick in that moment says, wait, I think I was supposed to say that to you. <laughs> you know, Tom had been like nice. studying his climbing yeah, movies yeah. Yeah. in preparation for this, like, you know, Mission Impossible climbing scene. <laughs> and apparently they become like fast friends in that in that moment where, you know, the guy was obsessed with learning how to rock climb. Yeah, but I love Ron's line. You know, Tom Cruise says to Ron, I've seen all of your movies, man. I'm a huge fan. I think that's what he said. I'm a huge fan. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, I yeah. I, I hearing him like I don't I don't you know I've met Ron off and on you know back in the day whatever but um don't know him and to have some insight via you know to to listen to two guys that we sat in here for mm-hmm. you know I mean we were probably had total eight hours of conversation wow. with with right. those kids um and uh. To hear them and kind of imagine the journey that they are on, that you know they are being guided on by Ron right. in this conversation was like, okay, this is fucking, yeah, this is a it, it's it is an art form in a way, mm-hmm. and it does take practice to uh, to do it I, I, in a way that will be effective for people. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think it would be cool if you could just call people up and be like, Hey, do you want to just go talk for three or four hours? Right. And the people would be so put off by that. Oh, man, I have so much right. stuff to do, but they wouldn't realize the importance unless you put on a performance. So you almost have to hide the, the genuine thing that you want to get people to be like, Oh, a podcast. That's true. That's, right. that's like the, that's the, it opens the door. Yeah. The on, and we got to make it interesting because yeah. we don't want to be boring right. or, huh. you know, I got to be fun. I got to put on my best self. But if we just showed up to conversations and had them <laughs> like we were recording them, like the world was watching, our conversations would be more meaningful and we'd be probably be better. Uh, I think that's them. what expeditions, that's what adventure provides, right? Ooh. You just do this at a campfire. Like that's, it's yeah. what being outside, yeah. you do, there's... The closest thing to a podcast is sitting at a campfire or being <laughs> yeah. or being stuck in a tent with your buddy mm. for you know five days, and you have ten podcast sessions. <laughs> in a row. I mean, right? Or oh, you yeah. you sit on trains and buses, and you know that. And it's this is I think this is like an urban way mm. to do that because you're right. It's hard to get your buddy to show up at a bar. Mm. Or your living room, for that matter, and just sit and talk for four hours. Yeah, but and if you end up at a bar, then there's a you know a distraction or right. something like that. And and um, but yeah, we don't. Hey, do you want to come over and talk? It's a real, but whoa, it's something whoa, whoa, that is easy so, there, Thunder. That's a little right. weird, don't you think? <laughs> but it is so important to us as a culture, like talking genuinely and openly and discussing ideas in this forum is probably one of the most. It's probably one of the biggest ideas that humans have is communication, and yet. We need excuses to do it. You know, we need to eat in order to have them, or we need to like right. meet at a place to drink, or we need to have a podcast, or we need to go on adventures. And it's like oh, we could just have a conversation. But just think about like <laughs> in Death Valley. Oh yeah, around, two yeah. weeks ago, whatever. Uh, it's just like sitting around the campfire, yeah. and I and and going wherever the conversation. I pulled led. up. I pulled like, up, and I mean 
my car was still on and we were talking for five minutes while I was standing, like asking where I was going to park. And we just started talking about right. the drive and the thing and the podcast I was listening to and I was explaining it because you could hear it in the background. I was like, oh, don't. like it's the Pornhub <laughs> podcast. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but that became a conversation about like deep philosophical. And I'm like, let me turn off my car and then we can talk. Right. And it was like right into a conversation that yeah. lasted till you got there and then really began. So we we're talking like, seven hours of talking yeah. um, that should have happened without all that. Yeah. I, mean, I just can't. Yeah, we didn't need to go to Death Valley to have that. Well, no, we did. Well, we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is true. I mean, I, I always say that a campfire is like the ultimate. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I love campfires so much. We bought like one of these little fire pits yeah. to sit yeah. on our back deck. Yeah. Because I just want, I mean, maybe that's the closest thing to a podcast that I have is we'll invite people over. And in the middle of summer, when you can light a fire and sit there on the deck, it turns, the best nights are the nights when it turns into the multi-hour conversation. Yeah. You know, because there's something about flame. Yeah. And that's, I don't know what, you know, it's as old as primal. It's whatever. And that's what I was imagining when I, when we're trying to like, um, think of the inception of the new way we would teach things was to get rid of the whiteboard and replace it with a fire pit. Right. Because it's like, A, everyone becomes equal. That's like right. you, you all sit at the same level and you all gaze at the same thing. And now you're almost in a trance because you're just watching the embers get hotter and pop. And, you know, uh, there, there's something there. Um, we should just light that barrel on fire and just have it in the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, right. It's true. Garbage, it's a little garbage can fire. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, it's really interesting. You yeah. start pulling stuff out of the dumpster to burn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll be great. <laughs> dumpster fire. <laughs> that's not exactly what I had in mind, but okay. this will do. So, so I have to ask one practical question mm. um, because I feel like we could do this for a long time. I have a four o'clock flight. Oh yeah. What time do I need to head to the airport? Two thirty. If, if I have to check a bag. Uh, 4.30. Airport is 10. From the time the Uber gets here to dropping you off is 10 minutes. 10 minutes, okay. Yeah, um, so I get there an hour beforehand, right, so, so maybe 3.30. So yeah, we should probably wrap like it up quarter, now. Yeah. 10 minutes. Because it'll take yeah. a minute and yeah. 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 chill out for a second. Yeah, I yeah. feel bad because I, no, no, I feel like not I don't actually uh, go This is a really nice is... breaking spot. It's like, I think it's... Uh, because re- whenever you come to the point where you're meta analyzing the thing that you're actually doing <laughs> you've reached the pinnacle of you know observation uh, uh, i think because we're all interested in this this genre is why yeah i think is why we landed there yeah so, no it's, yeah. it's, it's perfect so. actually i i i'm absolutely delighted that you came in and spent the time wow. and i wish i would have caught your thing last night oh man uh, well definitely i'm gonna i'm gonna send books i oh, feel like do. i showed up in unprepared no nonsense it was well, perfect well well, thank you guys. Yeah, this yeah. is this is a real treat. This is I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm your biggest fan in terms of just the long form, <laughs> the long form. Format. You're gonna have to fight one other guy that says he's your biggest fan. <laughs> I'm, yeah. This I, I'm trying to figure out now how we're gonna get a fire pit in here. I, <laughs> what Bruce is gonna think about? It. <laughs> yeah, Landlord we, isn't gonna like it, but yeah. I, I could envision that you have the big industrial exhaust yeah. fan, you exactly. know, like the kitchen exhaust <laughs> running right through the roof. They make those smokeless fire pits now. Have you seen those? That's what. Well, that's is what it, we have on our. Is it? Does it work? It would definitely burn a hole through. Okay. The roof. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's totally incredible. The, okay. Uh, the, uh, you know, I, I and this goes back to like storytelling and fire pits and like long form conversation. I I in my heart felt like my daughter loved fires because of the storytelling mm. 
And then I realized, no, it's because we always associate it with like making s'mores. Yeah, I was about to say, is it the marshmallows? <laughs> it has that nothing to do with, yeah, it turns out it has nothing to do with the storytelling. Yeah. The that, it's funny because I tell Aaron, like, hey, let's go camping. And she's like, oh, okay. She's really excited. I'm like, man, she really likes camping. Every time she brings hot dogs and marshmallows. Totally. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you don't like camping. You just like, <laughs> like hot, hot dogs, dogs and, and marshmallows. It's <laughs> <laughs> an excuse to eat it. Which is totally fine. Okay. If that's, if that's what it takes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's, that's, uh, I just true. realized that's Rebecca Rush's private Idaho. Cup. Yeah. Yes. You, did you guys do that? Did you do that right? Yeah. 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 We, uh, two years in a row now. Yeah. Uh, did the, I, I did a stage race last year. Oh, no yeah. kidding. And okay. then this year just did the big day only on, mm. without having ridden my bike for probably like two months, <laughs> several months beforehand. Uh, Re- Reba is a super close friend. Reba. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she is. She is fantastic. Yeah, I went up for gravel camp in June huh. this oh, this wow. year also. Just, you know, she kind of shamed me into it <laughs> a little bit. And, um, and yeah, I, I adore her. And, yeah, uh, yeah she makes me. She um, she might be one of the toughest people I've ever met. I think, I yeah. Mean, I, male or female. I was female. about to say she makes me feel inadequate. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I on numerous, I mean, I have endless Rebecca Rush stories, but mm. which one do I tell? I, I, we, I once, <laughs> I once um, we went and filmed Rebecca in, she did this um, set the record for the riding, Coca, the Coca-Pelli guy, yeah. Coca-Pelli. And I, th- there was this moment that I will never forget. It's the beginning of the ride. You know, she starts at like midnight or it's dark out and she's riding up a paved road out of the parking lot and I'm hanging out the window and we're 30 minutes into it and I realize she is breathing so hard and riding so fast and I have this realization of, holy shit, this is how fast you ride and you're going to do this for like... <laughs> 24 you know, hours. Yeah, whatever. That, I think it was, it was less... 14? 14, that sounds about right. Yeah, less than, you know, more than 12, less than 24. And I, I just this realization of like, she is entering the hurt locker 30 minutes into, into this, this and yeah. she's going to hang in this space Whoa. for 14 hours or 12 hours. Yeah. And I, it was just this epiphany. Yeah. I just, I don't think I had ever witnessed someone pushing that hard. And I later brought that up with Rebecca and she laughed and she's like, well, that wasn't that hard. And I thought, okay, yeah, you're just like, <laughs> yeah, her, her, okay, her, different her level. threshold uh, totally. is like, her dial is totally. different than everybody else's. 100%. She rewired it. So like her one is like most people's eight or something. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's, it's 100% true. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. She's, well. Do you, she's, do you ride a gravel bike or a mountain I bike? I ride or? a mountain bike. You should I, do it. You, I, I did it on a mountain bike last year. Super I fun. almost yeah. came up this year and it oh. was just the timing was yeah. off and. And uh, no, I will. If you guys are that, maybe yeah. I'll do it. Well, probably. I think we go there pretty much. I think it's a thing. Yeah. Like we're, we've talked about it enough that now we have people show up that are like, hey, listen to the podcast. And uh, that's great. Oh, yeah. Somebody sent a thing the other day with their entry, oh, yeah. Yeah. like a, a screenshot yeah. of their entry into RPI. Oh, wow. And I was yeah. like, wow. yeah, I've heard about this on the podcast. I'm going to go out and do it. Oh, I mean, I don't want to. It's terrible, but it's also such a good ride. Right. Like, and the weather's usually perfect and the roads are not like it's 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 good. It's a good um, catalyst to do something that you wouldn't normally do. Rebecca and I, we connected years ago because we were both climbers. But mm-hmm. She was in this adventure race world and I was yeah. hired to photograph this adventure race and we just hit it. I think we were in like Vietnam or Malaysia. Oh, and we just we connected because we were like clearly the two climbers in the room. Mm-hmm amongst a bunch of guys in spandex yeah who were not climbers that were adventure yeah try yeah Yeah, incredible athletes and and then 
uh, she and her team a few years later came to Tahoe to train for a big event. And I remember Rebecca called and she said, you know, hey, we're arriving this afternoon. Can you give us a tour of the mountain bike trails? And in my head, I'm thinking, you've called the wrong guy. Like I own a mountain bike. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I mean, I guess. And I just, I like the sense of like, I just like was delusional and I agreed to do it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this elite adventure racing team, four world-class endurance athletes, and I'm going to, this climber guy, I'm going to take them on a mountain biking tour of the best trails in South Lake Tahoe. And I kind of trained for four days, you know, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got after it. I was really hammering yeah. and, uh, and they showed up at my doorstep, you know, we all caught up and caught up and then quickly they're in there like, you know, racing gear, Boom, riding gear yeah. and let's go. And I got on my bike and I instantly realized like their bikes cost $10,000 and I think I bought mine used for 800 yeah. <laughs> and, and I and I just went into race pace, like up the one trail that I had trained on, you know, for four days. And I, I was, I mean, I was peaking. I was at like the absolute aerobic limit <laughs> that I was capable of for like 45 straight minutes. And I was just dying. I was dying. And they were just having a conversation. Yeah, yeah, back. yeah Reba's sick. asking questions. She's like on my, t- her tire kept on hitting my back tire. <laughs> And she's saying things like, so where's the best place to buy produce? And what about, where do we get, where do we go for, you know, and she's asking all the logistical questions about being in Tahoe. And we get to the top of like this ridgeline and I am cooked. And, and, you know, for me, that was like, that's what I trained on was yeah. that yeah. section of trail. And, yeah. Now and I'm, I'm done. Now. Yeah, I'm done. I turn around and go down from totally. here. <laughs> and, I, and I get to the top and I'm like, so that's, uh, you know, whatever the name of this ride is. And Reba looked at me with, you know, they were all kind of baffled. I don't think there was any sweat on their faces. They like, they were just getting loosened up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I just had to own, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'll go and start the barbecue and I'll see you guys in like four hours when you're done riding. down here when you hit the T-turn right. And and if I were of your pedigree, I would just do this nine or 10 times, but I'm not. So I'm going to go get a beer. (laughs) Yeah. Athlete at Uh, another level. That's for sure. Yeah. That's crazy. That's actually pretty funny. Yeah, you should definitely do that. I will. I definitely will. I just, I'm awesome. glad I connected that. Well, thank you yeah. guys. Yeah, thank I'm, you for um, coming on. It was good to have yeah. you. Yeah, yeah it's really awesome. nice to con- reconnect and then connect more. Well, my pleasure. Yeah, cool.